0: Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to The Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with astrologers Camille Michelle Gray and Lindsay Turner about Saturn, Saturn transits, and the music industry. Uh, So hey, thank you both for joining me.
1: Hey, Chris. It's so nice to be here. Hi. Nice to be back.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to do this episode. This is a really great topic where both of you kind of approached me separately to talk about... Uh, To pitch kind of a talk on Saturn and how it relates to the music industry and musicians. And they seem like such complimentary topics that I thought it would be a good idea for the three of us just to do this together.
2: I'm super excited. (laughs) Me too.
0: (laughs) All right. Awesome. Well, why don't we dive right into it then? Where should we start?
2: Maybe we should talk a little bit about why Saturn and music. Camille, does that seem like a good place to start?
1: Please, take it away.
2: Awesome. So I associate Saturn with everyday people. Saturn signifies farmers. And at one point, farmers made up something like 90% of the population. And Saturn also exalts in the sign of Libra, which I associate with expressions of art and justice. So this signals to me that people are lifted up in creative expression and that this also has a direct impact on equity. And so at some point I became curious about the way that popular music evolves over time and I had the idea to track it against Saturn transits through the signs. And what I found was really exciting, the archetypes of each sign that Saturn enters and the planets that have essential dignity in those signs really show up in the themes and the sounds of the music of that particular era. Um, And I also want to give a shout out to my friend um, and DJ Liv Minnick, who's DJ Theoretic, who helped me think and talk through this idea when I first had it.
0: That's awesome. So Saturn takes about three years to go through each of the signs of the zodiac. And you noticed that it, it creates sort of like different periods in terms of musical expression.
2: Yeah, it's pretty uncanny. And I've been looking at the year that Saturn ingresses a sign. So Saturn can wobble or toggle back and forth between signs. But I've noticed that the first time it goes into a sign that year gets activated with the themes of the sign that Saturn's ingressing.
0: Nice. Awesome. Okay. So that was your that's your particular angle and how we're going to approach it from and look at things. And then Camille, the angle you were approaching things from was looking at the Saturn return of musicians which occurs between like 27 and 30 and what album they put out during their Saturn returns.
1: Yes, so I noticed a trend where the songs and the image and the aesthetic of the artists going through their Saturn return tends to make a dramatic shift during the Saturn return. Um, I noticed a lot of themes in terms of shift in the honesty of the lyrics, uh, a dramatic shift again in the persona for people who have stage personas, a lot of common themes of which a few uh, confronting shadows or shame, a lot of disillusion of relationships, a lot of depression, um, getting mm-hmm. candid and honest about addiction and sobriety. So, um, yeah, I was just as a music listener, just always kind of in the background tracking which of my favorite artists were going through sad and returns. And I could see it show up in the music. So I will be the sad and return part of this uh, podcast.
0: Brilliant. I love that. Um, yeah, I think we all there's always that one um, album that like stands out in a musician's discography that is their Saturn Return that has like a really distinctive feel to it. Um, I think especially if you have like a favorite band or a favorite artist, it's always one that's very obvious.
1: Absolutely. And I've also found that the body of work that these artists are putting out during their Saturn Return tend to, for a lot of them, be what they're known for or be what kind of follows them through time and really, really attaches to their legacy. So it's very interesting with you know Saturn ruling legacy in time.
0: Okay. Awesome. All right. So um, why don't we set this up? So one of the things we're going to do today is we're going to go through each of the signs in order, starting with Aries and go all the way through looking at both Saturn returns in those signs, as well as looking at the eras of music during those periods. Um, is there anything else we should set up before we transition into doing that?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to mention that I wanted to use something that would be sort of a reliable measure for what was popular at the time. And so I'm using the Billboard year-end Hot 100 list. Um, and so I want to acknowledge that I am not going to cover every artist that was popular during an era. And um also, that, you know, the billboard has its own biases because the music industry has its own biases. So I just want to be clear about that. But there is a a pretty standard measure for success when we're looking at the billboard, like record sales and plays and streams and things like that.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense as well as shifts. Yeah, you mentioned like streaming and how we've shifted to streaming over the past decade and some of the things that does, but Um, That they're having like objective metrics is super useful with astrology, especially when you're trying to deal with a topic that otherwise can be somewhat subjective, you know, like music. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So I listened to about 3,000 songs to prepare (laughs) for this. So I'm trying to do as much like quantitative and qualitative combining as I can.
0: Yeah. That's perfect. Doing the hard Saturn work for this episode (laughs) is very fitting. Yeah
1: yes um i was just going to add as we go through each sign at the end i will bring up the saturn return artist who has saturn in that sign returning um as well as looking at the second saturn era so like saturn and aries in the 60s versus saturn and aries 30 years later in the 90s so i will be covering the modern uh side of things
0: And I'm super
2: grateful for that. Thank you, Camille,
1: (laughs) of course.
0: All right, perfect. Well, let's jump into it then um, and start with Aries, shall we?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we get Saturn and Aries from 1967 to 1969. And we get three kind of major genres that I could identify. So we get classic rock, um, or maybe what millennials might refer to as classic rock at this point, um, like the Rolling Stones. We get Ruby Tuesday. And even off the bat, the color Ruby and the day Tuesday are associated with Mars, who rules Aries. We also get late Motown. And so I'm thinking of Aretha Franklin, who was an Aries son and whose music at this time had a lot of elements of confrontation, which is something we might associate with the sign of Aries. And then also we get psychedelic rock like Steppenwolf's Born to be Wild and Magic Carpet Ride and The Doors Light My Fire. And I'm thinking of Aries as a fire sign. And so Saturn and Aries brings along with it sounds like the Hammond organ and electric guitar and the newly invented synthesizer. And so these instruments have a more metallic sound and Mars is associated with blacksmiths or metal workers. So you could almost say the musicians of this time are like metal workers. And the music of the year end Hot 100 during Saturn and Aries has really bright, aggressive, upbeat sounds. And a lot of the songs start off kind of quiet and dark and then grow and they get bolder and brighter. And that feels very attuned to the vernal equinox to me, which kicks off Aries season. And it's also the season in which the sun exalts. So I wanted to take a look at a few different songs and lyrics for Aries. And a major theme that I identified is the is for freedom and the fight against social and relational inequity. So we have a list of songs like, People Gotta Be Free by The Rascals. And some of the lyrics are, all the world over, so easy to see people everywhere just want to be free. Listen, please listen. That's the way it should be. There's peace in the valley. People got to be free. And we get the song Love Child by Diana Ross, where she sings, I started my life in an old, cold, run-down tenement slum. My father left. He never even married mom. I shared, my, I shared the guilt my mama knew, so afraid that others knew I had no name. And I'm Black and I'm Proud by James Brown. So we get a lot of like songs about racial equity. So he sings, some people say we've got a lot of malice. Some say it's a lot of nerve. But I say we won't quit moving until we get what we deserve. And my last example is Think by Aretha Franklin. We also get her song Respect. And I love that her, like, subtle threat at the end of respect that she's going to leave if she doesn't get the respect that she's asking for. Um, and also in think, you know, she is challenging someone, like, you better think what you're trying to do to me. And then she sings freedom a dozen times, which I really just mm-hmm. love listening to. Um And then the very last uh, exemplar that I want to pull from this period is Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell's Ain't No Mountain High, which really signals like rams or sheep, you know, like nothing stopping them from being able to summit a mountain. Um, And the lyrics, no wind, no rain, no winter storm can stop me, babe. And so it's not only a song about the inevitability of getting to your loved one, but it also seems like a song about the inevitability of springtime.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Um, and I love that because we always think about the late nineteen sixties, and it was such a charged time politically. And astrologers often associate that with the Uranus Pluto conjunction that was happening at that time. But this is actually really a great point. You know, that's maybe often overlooked is like Saturn transiting through Aries and some of the ways that that was actually influencing things as well.
2: Mm, such
1: a good addition. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, that's pretty amazing. I like that. Um,
1: Something was... that is interesting, Chris, I didn't mean to cut you off. If oh. um, Marvin Gaye's chart is, is queued up. Um, just very interesting to end on that song, Ain't No Mountain High, because Marvin Gaye was having his Saturn return in Aries at that time, and you will see that it is in the top of his chart. So Ain't No Mountain High, and we have Saturn High in the chart. And then to just like wrap it in further, we have that Saturn being ruled by Mars in Capricorn. So Capricorn and mountains. I just thought that was very evocative.
0: So he was going through his Saturn return at this time while charting.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: Nice. That's really interesting. That's really good and like particular example of that. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um. Well, that's pretty good. So that's our first example of Aries and Saturn in Aries. And that's definitely very distinctive of that time period. Do we, are we going to look at other areas of eras of Aries or are we going to jump forward to the next sign?
1: We're going to look at the other era. So we have the second era of Saturn and Aries, which places us between the years of 1996 and 1998. I wanted to start off by saying that this is when the Spice Girls hopped on the scene and Spice yes. and Mars are very you know, related there. And four out of the five Spice Girls even have names that are very martial in nature. So we have Scary Spice, Sporty Spice, Baby Spice ginger spice the redhead and then there's posh of course as well we also get dominance uh by boy bands on the billboard hot 100 and so aries and masculinity really coming in there we get a lot of songs about comebacks about rivalry about conflict and issues so for example we get return of the mac kind of saying i'm back i'm here we get unbreak my heart we get the boy is mine We get More Money, More Problems by Biggie Smalls. And in the background of all of that, the East Coast, West Coast rap rivalry that was happening. We also get the dominance of Maria Carey, Mariah Carey, sorry. Um, And that'll be actually the first Saturn return example that we look at. So Mariah Carey in her chart has Saturn and Aries in the 12th house conjoined her Venus. Um, We're gonna look at her album, butterfly around this time which to me is an album that really invokes a lot of freedom which is key for Aries here now Mariah actually considers this album to be her magnum opus so the great work often here associated with Saturn Um, she sees this as a turning point in her career this was an album she made as she was divorcing her husband at the time. So again, the disillusion of relationships really comes up a lot with the and return um, bodies of work that I've seen. Um, newly found independence on this album and in the visuals for the album, we see Mariah Carey in a more sexual way. We see her working with more hip hop and R&B producers so it just made me think of Mars and what it means to take control, to be sexy, to be hot or to be edgy. Um, and then just, you know, kind of cool here. This is an album called Butterfly. And to me, butterflies are creatures of the springtime. And of course, airy season is the b- beginning of spring. So I thought that was just a really, really lovely kind of tie in there. It's kind of quite literal. But yeah.
0: Brilliant. Um, that's really amazing. Um, so she has a whole stellium in Aries to begin with. Yeah. So that's super fascinating as well. Um, you mentioned the. I know this is a digression, but you mentioned like the one of the things you mentioned that was really interesting is the like East Coast West Coast sort of like hip hop wars kind of culminated like during this time period. Yeah. Um, because we had like right at the beginning of it, I think was the death of of Tupac and then Biggie at the same time. And that was kind of like the high water mark where things started to recede after that, but that would have been basically immediately after this period.
1: Yes. And I believe the sadden return of Tupac's death is Saturn in Aries. So that's something that's happening, I oh, believe, wow. just like currently. I think that's correct. But but yeah, that was just basically the backdrop of Saturn in Aries in that mid to late 90s era. So conflict, unfortunately, in this case, reaching a very, very triggered end.
0: Yeah. I just looked up the date that he died and it was September 13th, 1986, and Saturn was at four degrees of Aries. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. so, so yeah, it was definitely part of that transit. And then, yeah, you had both of those tragedies and then but then it seemed like it led to some reflection and and to some slowing down of that trend after that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's pretty amazing. All right. So we're seeing some patterns here and I like how we're seeing the repetition and the echoes of very similar Martian type patterns as we track Saturn coming back to the same sign 30 years later after the late 1960s.
1: Yes. It was so fun to see that this works (laughs) through time.
0: <laughs> right. Super fun. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, astrology is one of those things that you really, it's only sometimes in the, you can learn so much in the micro picture by studying in an individual chart and an individual's life and the placements. But there's something that you can't replicate unless you look at like the full scope of history and you look at what happens when the same placements repeat over and over again. That was something that was really driven home for me last month. Doing the eclipses episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is another good example of that.
3: Yep.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm, awesome.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, is there any other stuff about Saturn and Aries f- to mention?
1: I don't think so. I think we're on to Taurus.
0: Let's jump okay. in. And do you want me to show briefly your outline for those watching the video version? Just a snapshot, or would you prefer not to when we do each of these signs?
2: A no, snapshot. Something? I'm not sure what you mean.
0: Um, I could share my, like, like I'm looking at our outline right now and it sort of summarizes the sign that we just went through. And I wasn't sure if it'd be good to just show that briefly so that people have a visual reference, if that helps them to learn and follow, or if it would be better to not do that. What do you think?
2: I was going to have up on my website or I can make it available to you, Chris, a little outline, like cheat sheet, and even maybe a playlist so people could follow along when you release?
0: Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that would be the purpose of doing this, of showing okay. it really quick quickly. So this is our opportunity, I think, to do that. Sure. So why don't I show that really briefly? There we go. So just here is the um, quick little overview for people watching the video version of some of the main points that we just went through and some of the dates involved. All right, Um, shall we move on to Taurus? Let's do it.
2: So Saturn moves into Taurus in 1969 and stays in that sign until 1972. And so we get pop soul from the Jackson Five and from Fifth Dimension. And one of the songs I wanted to mention was the Fifth Dimension's Age of Aquarius, which is a song about a fixed sign while Saturn is in a fixed sign. We also get funk soul like Sly and the Family Stone. And then we also have someone like Neil Diamond, who's doing more pop rock. Neil Diamond was having his Saturn return during Saturn and Taurus. And we get folk rock from people like Simon and Garfunkel, who were also having their Saturn return during Saturn and Taurus. And another big band that I wanted to mention was Credence Clearwater Revival, who's in the genre of roots rock. And Tom Fogarty, who did um, rhythm guitar for CCR, was also having his Saturn return at this time. So Saturn and Taurus really bridged the 60s and the 70s preserving some of that psychedelic sound, but making it more melodious and less metallic. And in the Hot 100 from those years, we hear a lot more piano and a lot more acoustic electric guitar rather than just electric guitar. And I noticed that the rhythmic patterns get a little softer and slower and more relaxed. And this feels appropriate for a sign that Venus rules. So some of the major Venusian themes I noticed in the billboard when Saturn was in Taurus are sweetness and flowers. So we get songs like Sugar Sugar by the Archies, Sweet Caroline and Cracklin' Rosie by Neil Diamond, Build Me Up Buttercup by the Archies, and and, and that's by the Foundations, which is a band whose name even has this like fixed earth energy like Taurus. Another major theme is friendship, especially being there for friends in difficult moments, which I think is so sweet that we're getting this with Taurus. So we have songs like Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. We get the Jackson 5s, I'll be there and we get James Taylor's fire and rain. And James Taylor has Venus in Taurus, and so it was interesting that he wrote a song about his friend's death while Saturn was transiting his Venus sign. And I also wanted to mention this song by The Zombies, Time of the Season, which sort of gets to some of the pleasure and material wealth that can be associated with Taurus, And there's this line where they sing, what's your name, who's your daddy, is he rich like me, which feels very suggestive and Taurian. I also noticed because the moon exalts in Taurus, a lot of images of mothers and families coming through the music. So we have the Beatles, Let It Be, and they sing, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. And it was also Ringo Starr's Saturn return during this time. Also thinking about the song Mama Told Me Not to Come by Three Dog Night, which is about a mother's warning not to go to a wild party. And then I was also thinking about how the Jackson 5 and Creedence Clearwater revival were both family bands. And so we get this expression of the moon, not just in the music, but in the actual bands themselves. And then I just wanted to make a note about social consciousness, and Saturn and Taurus, because there are many charted songs during this time that speak to the unity and the stability of regular people, of poor people, of working people. And so, for example, we get Sly and the Family Stones, everyday people, where they sing, I am no better and neither are you. We're all the same, whatever we do. You love me, you hate me, you know me, and then you can't figure out the bag I'm in. I am everyday people. And lastly, I wanted to pull some lyrics from Proud Mary, which is a song by Credence Clearwater Revival. They also released... Down on the Corner and Fortunate Son, which I think really speak to the political times of this era. And in Proud Mary, they sing, if you come down to the river, bet you're going to find some people who live. You don't have to worry because you have no money. People on the river are happy to give. So these songs about the kind of joy and solidarity of everyday people are really pronounced during this time.
0: That's really fascinating because that's something we've been noting on the forecasts with Jupiter transiting through Taurus and conjoining Uranus is some of the the labor things that have been happening over the past year um, is kind of resonant with that. Love it. Something that
1: also is um, interesting is that this was when we got Woodstock, which was Mm -hmm. billed as like a relaxing music festival. So very apropos for Taurus.
0: Makes me think of like everyone in the mud when it like rained there
1: yeah, super nature,
0: <laughs> yeah. I really liked the point about earlier about um themes of like sweetness and like sugar and things like that because when I was doing the Taurus episode a year ago, I forgot how much that and sometimes like the comforts of like that which is sweet or that which is uh, nourishing are like such core concepts for Taurus where in the sign where the moon is exalted. Um, and things that nourish the body or that like feel good to you like through the body or things like that and and um, that's such a core theme with Taurus and it's really funny to see that showing up here in a lot of those lyrics you mentioned
2: it's neat it's all over the place
0: <laughs> right for sure all right um, so that's good so then do we move into Saturn returns for this
1: we're going to move into very briefly the second era of Saturn in Taurus which brings us to the time period between 1998 and 2000 so Got we it. get songs dominating the chart about money and material so we get no scrubs by TLC like i don't I want love bro- that i don't want yeah broke people near me We get bills, bills, bills by Destiny's Child, um, which is interesting in terms of everyday people having to pay their bills, like telephone bills and all that. Um, we get songs about physical beauty, about sensuality and about sex, so we get the Thong song by Cisco, <laughs> we get the song Unpretty again by TLC, we get Genie in a Bottle, Christina Aguilera's debut about, you know, just sensuality and wanting to have that experience for the first time. We even get songs uh, where the titles are kind of, t- you know, emoting some kind of Torian archetype. So we have Smooth by Santana. We get Breathe by Faith Hill. We also have uh, songs about women. So we get Maria Maria, which is again by Santana. And then, of course, songs about pleasing other people, about figuring out what feels good in a body. So we have I Want to Know by Joe. And we have Everything You Want by Vertical Horizon. The Saturn return example I wanted to use for this is Gwen Stefani of No Doubt. The title of this body of work is called The Return of Saturn. So how could we not talk about this? Um, in the chart, you'll see that Gwen Stefani has Saturn in Taurus in her fifth house. So here, the Saturn return having a very direct relationship to her creative expression. Or oh, is it in the fifth house or is it not?
0: Um, what oh, time the sixth do you house. have for her? Let me... Double check that I have the right data because I actually just noticed the Mariah Carey one. I had the wrong time for oh, no. So I'm gonna, I might fix that in post, but she has Saturn in Aries. I was showing it as Saturn in Taurus. Um oh, okay. so for I can look that up really Gwen quick. Stefani, it should be 209 PM. Okay. It looks like it is what you wrote down. So let me fix that. All right, here you go. No, you were right. Yay there we go.
1: All right. So yeah, looking at Gwen Stefani for the Saturn return example in Taurus, an album called the return of Saturn, which is how could you not mention that (laughs) she has Saturn (laughs) in Taurus in the fifth house. So this is a Saturn return that has a direct relationship to her creative expression. It was released April 11th, 2000 with Saturn in Taurus and also written mostly when Saturn was in Taurus as well. This was an album that, um, you know, explored her feelings of depression and it also hinged a lot on femininity, what it means to be a woman. And so we have the the Venus rulership coming in here. And then talking about all things sweet, there is a song on that album called Artificial Sweetener, which I just think is beautifully Torian, again, talking about very, very sweet things here in a literal way. Um, so yeah, very very interesting that those themes carry through um, literally.
0: <laughs> yeah, she also reflected a lot on themes of like relationships and being torn with that, and also at one point like motherhood and mm-hmm. um, things like that. And yeah, it was like a it was a very stark transition from this huge album that they had just had, which was Tragic Kingdom, a few years before to like going into this album which was a much more reserved and much more like somber in places like albums compared to their previous ones
1: yes absolutely
0: yeah so that's a great example all right um so where are we at now
2: Gemini
0: Gemini. Into Gemini.
2: Okay. All right, let's do it. I, In the true Gemini spirit, I had pages for this one that I whittled down to an appropriate size, but it's a very <laughs> exciting transit to me. So Saturn moved into Gemini in 1971. We have it there till 74. And as Saturn moved into Gemini in the early 70s, the genres don't seem to change much. We still have quite a bit of pop and rock and soul and, and folk. But there's a twist and the twist is that the words or the lyrics become much more emphasized much more narrativized. So a lot of songs set out to tell a story. It's it's not just kind of a lyrical song to sing along to. It's like, let me tell you a story. And they often contain more lyrics in general songs during this time. And so of course, this feels particularly mercurial to me. Mercury is the ruler of Gemini. It's concerned with language and communication. And I also noticed that some of the music itself gets more detailed, more nuanced. There's kind of flourishes that come through that maybe weren't present in previous music or not as present. And another thing I noticed in the music itself is you get this element of two of duality in expression. So you might get two different tempos in a song two different instruments toggling between things. And this also feels like an expression of Gemini and mutability, the twins, the two-bodied nature of the sign. So one example of this is Cat Stevens' Morning Has Broken, which opens with, it's one of my favorite piano licks of all times, this beautiful piano lick that opens and closes the song. But When he sings, it's just over very simple rhythmic guitar. So you get this back and forth of the music. And another song that I think is really emblematic of this is Karen Carpenter's Superstar. So you might remember the, don't you remember you told me, I'm so so hard not to sing. Don't you remember you told me you love me baby, right? And it switches back and forth dramatically between tempos. So it starts really slow and then it goes into almost a double time tempo and back and forth. So I think that's pretty neat. Um, And as I mentioned, a lot of songs tell stories while Saturn is in Gemini. So we have three dog nights, joy to the world, which famously starts with Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Right. And it's kind of like we're about to hear something, a tale. Then we get Janis Joplin who's having her Saturn return um, her song me and Bobby McGee which is a story and then this might be the the most incredible example, right? Is we get Don McLean's American Pie, which is the longest song to ever hit number one on the charts. And it remains that wow. until Taylor Swift bests him in 2010. So talk about a multitude of lyrics um, when we're looking at American Pie, it's a very long song.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
2: Yeah, so cool. Um, There are a couple more themes I noticed with Saturn and Gemini. One is being in love with your fantasy of someone. And so there are a number of songs about being in love with someone that the singer has never met, but they've sort of like fleshed out an entire life with in their mind. And I think that really speaks to the Gemini and imagination. So speaking of that, we get the Temptations hit, Just My Imagination, where he sings about being married and raising a family and I can visualize it all but it's just my imagination running away with me. And then we also get Tony Orlando and Dawn knock three times, which is a super fun song about, you know, someone in the apartment below that you've never met, but you know, knock on the pipes if you wanna meet me. And the last example I have for this theme is Roberta Flack's song, the first time ever I saw your face. Fun fact, Roberta Flack is a triple aquarium, um, but it's this incredible, poetic, like stunning song about loving someone at first sight. And so it's not just like silly imagination or fantasy, it's also like really potent um, fantasy that comes through. Mm. Speaking of silliness too, I found the song, I had never heard of it before, that made the year-end Hot 100 by Chuck Berry called My Dingaling." <laughs> where he talks about playing with his dingling for like 4 minutes it's it's such a weird song but i thought it was pretty funny to mention it's like you know mercurial kind of childishness and silly play um and then just a couple one-offs to end with with saturn and gemini so there's this really weird phenomenon um of Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice's song Jesus Christ Superstar, um, whose spiritual theme I kind of attribute to Mercury's signifying of devout people. But Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar was the top selling album of 1971. And they couldn't get it to like be successful as a Broadway show so they made it a rock album and then it was both a successful rock album and Broadway show so again you get that you know two naturedness of yeah. Jesus Christ Superstar and
0: duality. then
2: what's that yeah the duality yeah absolutely yeah and then lastly like carol king gets uh has a lot of hits during this time um but what she really had been like known for up until then and even after then is being a prolific songwriter so again we get this kind of two for one deal in carol king who's an incredible recording artist and also an incredible songwriter
0: that's incredible that's already Sparking a lot of thoughts for me that I Is know it? are going to come up for in the next cycles. So, so once we get there, I have some. We'll see like a, a repetition of a lot of these themes that you're pointing out.
3: Cool.
1: Yes. So in the second era of Saturn and Gemini, we're in the time period between 2000 and 2003. So we get a lot of songs topping the charts, uh, the year-end charts about thinking and about memories. So we have Can't Get You Out of My Head by Callie Minogue. We have You Remind Me by Usher. We have Let Me Blow Your Mind by Eve. We have How You Remind Me by Nickelback. We also get songs with heavy wordplay, trickster energy, kind of like cunning energy as well. Lady Marmalade, um, which is toggling between multiple voices. So we get Lil' Kim, we get Pink, Christina Aguilera and Maya and also very interesting that in that song they speak a little French so here we have the mercurial nature of just bringing in language to tell a story we have a song called "Hit 'Em up style by Blue Cantrell which is about stealing a person's money because they did you wrong and so we're gonna rack up <laughs> you know their credit card so heavy like trickster con energy We get songs about mental confusion, about open-ended questions. So we have Avril Lavigne's debut, Complicated. Why do you have to make things so complicated? We have Dilemma by Nelly and Kelly Rowland, right? So just being unable to make up your mind about something. And very interestingly, we also get songs about talking, walking, travel, and going back and forth. So we get Drops of Jupiter, which is about like symbolic travel between the planets. And we also get a 1,000 miles by Vanessa Carlton, which is I would walk 1,000 miles if it meant that I could get to you. So very, uh-huh. very evocative. Um, the Saturn return example I wanna use for Saturn and Gemini is Joni Mitchell. So during this album, sorry, during this period, she released her album, Blue. And of course, blue means to be down or to be sad. So here we have the Saturn uh, sadness, melancholy, depression, kind of even seeping in the title here. This was written during the dissolution of a relationship. And then during the Saturn return, she had another relationship that ended as well. So just a lot of heartbreak. This was a period of time that involved drug addiction for her as well, an album that explored themes of loss, transformation, and travel. Um, Joni Mitchell says quote on this album I feel like I had absolutely no secrets from the world I couldn't pretend in my life to be strong or to be happy and so I thought that was very interesting for Saturn in Gemini and this feeling of having to have a really hard talk with yourself and having like serious reflections um, and then of course this was an album that was regarded best of all time so of course while she was recording it not a really great period to be in but this just speaks to Saturn legacy and Saturn longevity and then we'll see that time and time again where the work created during this period for, for folks really 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 becomes uh, a definitive piece of work for them.
0: So even though she was going through like a period of hardship personally um professionally she did some of her most important work.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's super interesting. Um, so I'm noticing a pattern here that brings up a Saturn and Gemini person. But um, we we're talking about like Saturn and Aries and some of the like the era of East Coast, West Coast rap battles culminating with Tupac and Biggie. But then Saturn and Taurus, that period immediately after that was kind of the transition into more like like money type rap focus. Um, like, you know, Puffy got really big then and mace mm-hmm. and um, sort of that shift that started to take place around that period for like two or three years. But now that we're at Saturn and Gemini and Lindsay mentioned lyricism and one of the people rap in terms of just in terms of rap in and of itself that became huge at this time was um, Eminem. And this is basically yeah. in Saturn or Eminem has Saturn and Gemini and he was experiencing his Saturn return when he released his second and third albums, which were his two biggest selling albums. Um during that time period, and because I just like happened to see this stat for some reason a few months ago, um, but if you look at the like sales charts, like those two, the second and third album on this list, which is the Marshall Mathers LP and the Eminem Show, were just like massively, hugely selling albums that far dwarfed like any other album he's um, uh, released since that time, but. It just speaks to that idea of um Saturn and Gemini and like lyricism because that's one of the things that he's known for. Um, but it also speaks to a little bit what well, you were talking about, Camille, about people sometimes having personal hardships because he was like um v- really in the thick of like drug issues at that time, which he would later get sober for, but um he was super in the thick of that and, and struggling with that. But then simultaneously ironically reaching the highest point that he would reach in terms of at least sales
1: yeah that's a perfect example and I even think of how Eminem's early work was so silly and it contained a lot of mockery which right. is beautifully Gemini
0: yeah, yeah for he's sure. such a
1: mimic yes
0: a mimic and all of, like the skits and stuff like that but even if you later think of like when he tried to when you made sort of like a comeback in the early 2000s and you released like Rap God, which was this song that was just like so lyrically dense, that's such a great expression of, of Saturn and Gemini. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. So that's pretty good. Any other reflections on that? No. Okay. Cool. Shall we move on to Cancer?
2: Let's do it. Let's do it. So. When Saturn enters Cancer in the 70s, this is 1973 to 76, the sound of the billboard gets immediately darker and moodier. And the instrumentation gets a bit heavier, more pensive. And I noticed there's a lot of wah-wah guitar distortion, which is a sound I think many of us associate with 70s pornography tracks. But it's just really present during this transit. And so I think of cancer being ruled by the moon and the moon being the luminary of the nighttime. And there's just more of a nighttime vibe to this music than any of the other signs we've looked at so far. And so during this um, transit, there seems to be an emphasis on soul and R&B, music that lends itself a little bit more to these lunar expressions of sex and nostalgia and nighttime taking things slow. And so I think I would use the word groove to describe the genre shifting that happens during Saturn and Cancer. A lot of the songs stand out more for their rhythm and their feel than like their lyrics, like we saw in Gemini. Um, And so that does feel very lunar to me, right? We're like talking about the emotional life or feelings or the body, right? And so there's this more kind of embodied quality to the music. I think some of the exemplar artists of this period are Barry White, who had a Cancer Saturn and Cancer Moon, Um, but his moon was on his descendant and he makes like a lot of lovemaking music, right? We get Shaka Khan, who also has a Cancer Moon, and Marvin Gaye, who had Cancer Rising. And so between the three of them, we get, I'm going to love you just a little bit more, baby, (laughs) tell me something good and let's get it on. And a lot of folks refer to this as baby-making music, which feels very lunar and cancerian to me as well. So speaking of making babies, there's a strong through line of songs about parenthood during Saturn and Cancer. So we get um, Jim Croce's Time in a Bottle, which he wrote while his wife was pregnant. We get Paul Anka's You're Having My Baby. And then we also get themes of racial identity, particularly around interracial dating and mixed race identity, which to me feels particular to both Saturn and the moon, which are you know placements that we can look at to kind of track parents and lineage and ancestry in the chart. So we get the song Brother Louie by Stories about inter- interracial dating. We get the band Redbone, which is actually a Cajun word for mixed race identity. And we get a, a very controversial song from Cher called Halfbreed about her alleged indigenous ancestry, which she's since apparently disavowed. Um, so lots of songs about, about racial identity and, and, and racial, interracial dating. Um, one of the other big themes for Saturn in Cancer are um, time and memory. So we get Steely Dan's "Reeling in the Years, Um, and also songs about the moon. So one of the best examples of this is Dancing in the Moonlight by King Harvest, Mm -hmm. which just feels too good, right? Mm -hmm. Too good. And then this is one that really surprised me, songs about trains. So I'd be curious, Chris, what you think about this. Um, But we've got Midnight Train to Georgia by Gladys and the Pips. We've got Locomotion by Grand Funk Railroad. We've got the OJ's love train. And we even have blue Swedes hooked on a feeling, which starts with this ooga uga ooga, ooga, ooga chaka, which is the rhythm that a train makes. And so it has me wondering about Saturn and Cancer and the moon, um, it, you know, maybe signifying trains somehow, like with the moon's joy in the third house. Um and transportation or like a moon Saturn combo of like heavy, steady transportation. So I'm curious what you think of that. And there's just one last theme that I have um, Chris and that's um, bad men we see it with Saturn and cancer. So we get songs, bad, bad Leroy Brown by Jim Croce. And we get Carly Simons, you're so vain. We get the song, the night the lights went out in Georgia by Vicki Lawrence. And one thing that Camille and I noted was that we see a lot of women breaking glass ceilings during Saturn in Cancer and overcoming kind of the bad things that patriarchy has done. So yeah, super, super neat transit. I really love Saturn in Cancer for this.
0: Yeah. I like, and you mentioned um, some of the You mentioned like USA themes and like, like feelings of nationalism or or something like that.
2: Yes, that also comes through as well. And I just for the sake of time, didn't mention it. But yeah, we've got like John Denver, Rocky Mountain High. um, And Elton John's song Philadelphia Freedom comes out um, during the kind of transition year between Cancer and Leo. So that's really notable as well. So yeah, patriotism to, uh, to a Cancerian country totally comes through.
0: Yeah, yes. that makes such sense. Um, cancer, that's something I've been understanding a lot more lately is the, the those feelings of of home and defensiveness sometimes surrounding things um, as being part of the impulse underlying things that you can see sort of locally in a person's chart when they have cancer placements, but when that's in like a country, like how that, that plays out on a broader level.
2: Yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of devotion and kind of tribalism
0: right yeah um okay that's very interesting um okay what about the um the 2000s
1: yeah so the second era of saturn in cancer we're looking at 2003 to 2005 all roughly one thing I noticed here is that this is when emo music really, really takes a stronghold. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, it started in Gemini, it ends with Saturn and Leo, but cancer, the entire time Saturn was in cancer, we get emo culture, you know, just really, really peaking. And of course, cancer, emo, emotional makes a lot of sense. But when we look at the year-end billboard, we get a lot of songs about intense love and intense emotions. So we get Beyonce's debut, Crazy in Love. We get Miss You, which was a song that was posthumously released by Aaliyah after her untimely death. So a really, really emotional song there. We get Unwell by Matchbox, If I Ain't Got You by Alicia Keys, We Belong Together by Mariah Carey. So these very devotional, intense love songs about a- another party or another entity. Another thing I noticed here, and Lindsay and I had a laugh about this, but just a lot of club bangers for a lot of reasons. So we get in the club, we get a lot of usher hits like, yeah, yeah. Um, And again, we were just connecting it to the fact that, you know, the moon and nighttime, right? And so going into a club, of course, is an evening activity and perhaps some baby making happening as a result. So (laughs) that's one thing I noticed there. The Saturn return example I want to use here um, is Dolly Parton. She wrote I Will Always Love You around her Saturn return, and now we've also learned she wrote Jolene on the same day. So again, these huge, epic songs that are written during the Saturn return really just defining what a person is known for. So one thing that was kind of interesting here to kind of break up the rhythm of what I was looking at before So Dolly Parton wrote this song around her Saturn return, but interestingly, Whitney Houston sang and released her version of I Will Always Love You during her Saturn return in Aquarius. And they are both respectively known, right, for that song. So it's just very interesting here. Um, Both of them also have Saturn opposite Venus. And of course, this song, I Will Always Love You, is about saying goodbye to a lover, you know, knowing that you're not the best person for them, but you know, wanting to see them do well, which is just such a beautiful, nurturing, supportive, Cancerian kind of way to say goodbye.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So there's Dolly Parton's chart. Um, were there other Saturn? I, I was just looking through my files and I noticed that um two other musicians I had in my like um, main file that had Saturn in Cancer were Alanis Morissette and mm-hmm. Lor- Lauren Hill. Um, mm-hmm. nice. but, but with both of them, that one of the things that's kind of interesting is it means they were both born in the mid 1970s with Saturn in Cancer, but it means they both peaked in, you know, peaked at least in terms of let's say like mainstream popularity in like the 1990s prior to their Saturn return, and their Saturn return then would have been in the mid 2000s and, and it creates almost a um a separation point in terms of both of their careers and lives where wow. they experienced this great success especially in their 20s and the 1990s um but then the set return um as a as a maturing point or as a point of transition was a transition to like a different sort of era like i know you know a lot of people recently have been discussing like waiting for lauren hill to release like a new album because she hasn't done something comparable since like the the 1990s basically right
1: yeah pretty much yeah and one thing I noticed that um, it's not really in the examples here but a lot of artists around their sad in return get disillusioned so we see folks leaving
0: <laughs> hmm.
1: what they once found enjoyable in their teens and early 20s um, so that too is a sad in return it's just working in an opposite direction
0: yeah that makes sense and that would be so challenging. Seeing some of the people that peaked before their center return, or at least had, you know, I hate sometimes putting subjective terms like peaked is is hard to yeah. do. But it just in terms of let's say having your greatest selling album at one point in your life, and then wanting to match that, or wanting to somehow get back to that level, but maybe being reticent to release something until you think that it could match that because you don't want it to fall short um, must just create like a tremendous amount of pressure for some artists like later in life or that coincides with, or even after the Saturn return, that would be something you, that would be hard to struggle with.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I think too about those, those two artists as both having really strong voices against patriarchy and that coming through, uh, through their music as well.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that especially is like very first single, like you ought to know, and how that was partially written about like an ex-boyfriend and just some of the stuff she went through with him.
2: Yeah. And I think I'm just realizing when we get to I think that album came out during Saturn and Pisces, uh Jagged Little Pill. I just I remember listening to it when I was about eight or nine and just loving it. But yeah, so I think that album is having its Saturn return, maybe, or or has just had its Saturn return. Mm.
0: Okay, yeah, that was such a massively like huge album in the mid nineteen nineties.
3: Yeah.
0: All right. Um. Cool. Well, that's pretty good for for Saturn and Cancer.
2: Totally. Yeah. Shall we jump into the lion?
3: Leo.
0: Let's do it.
2: All right. So we get Saturn and Leo from 1975 to 1978. And it seems to be when disco really begins to build momentum in the billboard. And as I was doing this research, I just realized, wow, the disco ball is such a quintessential image of Saturn and Leo, because it's this kind of Bright luminary like the sun, right? Leo's ruler in the middle of this dark club. Thinking about um, Saturn, you know, ruling darkness or signifying darkness. Um, that, that,
0: that's hilarious because this summer, like um, with Venus going retrograde in Leo, and some of the keywords were like glitter bomb. But also, <laughs> you know, you had the Barbie movie come out when Venus station retrograde in Leo, and right at the beginning of it, they have. Um, kind of like a disco opening like song when they're doing the dance party uh, that was disco inspired and a Dua Lipa song that's very influenced by like disco type influences.
2: Yes. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And around this time um, in the 70s, we get the movie Saturday Night Fever, which actually comes out during one of the bridge years between Saturn in Leo and Saturn in Virgo. Um, but I I think I looked and the day that Saturday Night Fever was released was the day that Saturn stationed retrograde at zero degrees Virgo. So it was almost like Saturn was dipping back into Leo for an encore and we get Saturday night fever which is super cool and even thinking about that the title of that movie like saturn ruling saturday and fever as a fiery thing and a fiery sign um i think it makes so much sense for this transit that we get saturday night fever um and so generally speaking, the music from Saturn and Leo is super fun, super upbeat. It's bright. It's funky. It's loud. Um, there's big singing, big belty voices that kind of calls to mind a lion's roar to me. Um, and there's also something really courageous to me about this transit and thinking of Leo um, and the heart and courage um, because we get a, a, a lot of Black and gay artists that are hitting the mainstream. In in some new ways so disco is was culturally black and culturally gay and white rockers did not really love its presence on the charts um, and so i'll discuss that more with saturn and virgo um, because i think that disco is really both like a leo and virgo phenomenon um, But if you look at the music generally with Saturn and Leo on the billboard, you get big themes of fame and royalty. And so some of the top songs for those years are David Bowie's Fame, um, Queen, you get Queen, right? Just the name of the band and then um, Killer Queen. And then you get ABBA's Dancing Queen. And so dancing and dance music is a huge part of this transit as was the Bee Gees song, You Should Be Dancing, right? And so then of course like you mentioned Chris we got a lot of solar and sparkling celestial imagery as well so we get Glen Campbell's rhinestone cowboy we get earth wind and fire's shining star we get Casey and the sunshine band um, who sings get down tonight and there are lots of references to gold so we get David Bowie's golden years and America's sister golden hair and one Saturn in Leo song that seems to have truly stood the test of time is Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't know anyone who doesn't know this song. If you don't listen to it, it's so operatic and bombastic. Um, what a perfect and another Saturn in Leo song. What's that?
0: What a perfect Saturn in Leo song because it's, it's so, so perfect, over the top, and it's so loud and so bold. And those are two of the keywords. I've really learned from that Venus retrograde in Leo this summer was like loud and bold are two major Saturn keywords. And that song for sure is a great example of that.
2: Yes. Yes. Um, Another, I think really funny or fun Saturn and Leo song is we get Starland vocal band song, Afternoon Delight, which is about having sex in the daytime. (laughs) So I think that's great because Leo is a diurnal sign, you know, ruled by the sun. So, you know, we got a song about sex, but in the afternoon. So that's pretty silly. We get some other silly songs, um, one called, literally called Silly Love Songs by Wings, Um And another kind of like fun, silly song is Why Can't We Be Friends by War. And I actually have a little personal anecdote about this. I was friends with um, Deacon Jones's stepson and Deacon was a backup singer on this track. And so if you don't know Deacon Jones, he was a huge football star at the time. He coined the term sax. Um, He was a hall of famer. And so I think it feels super leonine that we have like a celebrity cameo, right? And he helped this band war become famous. And the last thing I'll say about Saturn and Leo is that we have two really important artists having their first Saturn returns at this time. So we have Elton John and Freddie Mercury, who both dominated the charts as out gay men. And I think that this is really important to note when we're talking about leonine pride and solar visibility.
0: That's incredible. So both Elton and Freddie Mercury had Saturn and Leo?
2: Yes, Whoa, so it that... makes it they're so showy. I mean, it's so perfect, right?
0: Yeah, like that's um, that's honestly stunning. the just because they were with that sort of like Leo energy, like so bold and so loud and so out there, but also in that way, so trailblazing because they were just so undeniably like skilled as like musicians and as vocalists that, um it almost in an era where, it was harder to be like out like as, as a queer person. It almost forced you know, um, the mainstream to embrace that, you know, because they were so talented, even though there was like so much um, oppression like prior to that point. Yeah. Having a hard time artic- articulating that, but it was like very early sort of like inroads through like just sheer like musical talent and things like that.
2: Yeah, it's it makes me really emotional to think about how important they were um to, to queer people and to music at this time and and ever since. Yeah.
0: For sure. So does that mean so they were both um having their Saturn returns during some of those periods? Like you said Bohemian Rhapsody that was during the Saturn return, during Saturn and Leo. Yes,
2: yes, and I think okay. Elton John had some hits as well during this time. Um, but for space, I just didn't include them in my little write-up.
0: All right. Well, this is yeah. He New had Year's. Philadelphia
2: Freedom. That was that was coming out around this time.
0: All right. Well, this is so good that I'm just gonna like throw these in. Um, so here's Elton John's chart. He has Saturn at two Leo and Pluto at eleven Leo. Wow. Um, and then here's Freddie Mercury, who had Saturn at four, Leo, and Pluto at 12. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's just really stunning. So that's, a, that's such a great example. Like that in of itself, you could almost do a whole episode on just those two. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, anything yeah. else about that period?
2: Not from me, no.
0: Okay.
1: All right, so second era of Saturn and Leo, we are looking roughly at the time period between 2005 and 2007. So we get the dominance of very happy, hot club music. So we get Promiscuous by Nelly Furtado, Temperature by Sean Paul, Hips Don't Lie, Shakira, and Sexy Back by uh, Justin Timberlake. We get some songs about self-empowerment and glamour and like centering the self. So we have irreplaceable by beyonce which is like no one's going to rise right to the Mm -hmm. level of awesomeness that i am we get glamorous by fergie we also get fergalicious by fergie it's very leonine to have a song named after you (laughs) (laughs) um we also get some songs a lot of songs about the sun and about shining and about smiling One thing that was really cool here was the song Unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield was the most played song of 2006 when Saturn was in Leo. And one of the lyrics is, quote, let the sun illuminate the words that you cannot find we also get uh umbrella by rihanna she's introduced in that song by jay-z as little miss sunshine rihanna where you at (laughs) um of course the chorus yeah the chorus is when the sun shines we'll shine together right so more sun imagery there um we get hey there delilah by the plain white tees and there's a reference there to shining as bright as Times square um And then kind of funny here, we get grills, (laughs) the song grills, (laughs) with Paul Wall and company, um, which is about smiling and having flashy gold, shiny jewelry in your mouth and smiling to me and happiness to me feels very, of course, Leo. The Saturn return example here. And Chris, you may also be surprised to hear this. David Bowie had Saturn in Leo. And of course, yeah, as Lindsay said, that prior time period fame, right? Really coming out here. Um, but the body of work I want to talk about for David Bowie is his album called Low. So here we have another title that's evocative of the sad and return kind of melancholy and depression. Um During this time, he moved to France with his friend Iggy Pop to get out of the spotlight right, and focus on making this music. A lot of reflection here about addiction. So leaving America to go to another country to see if they could get clean. Um, It's called low because David Bowie was in a low period here, um, keeping a quote unquote low profile as well. Uh, famously, during this album, David Bowie dropped his persona, the like all the, you know, caricatures and the shiny stage presence. The music and the lyrics were much more sparse, uh, a lot more human and a lot more humble. His record label at this time was like, nah, <laughs> Like, how can we put this out? But they ended up uh, respecting his uh, wishes to make it an album release, but they kept on delaying it, which I thought was funny during a sadden return. Um, later on, this album *Low* by David Bowie was cited as a major influence for the post-punk, post-punk genre, and it was later praised as some of Bowie's, you know, best work. And someone said it was, quote unquote, his masterpiece. So here again, we get, of course, the sadness and the confrontation of one's individual experience of the sad and return, but in the context of culture and society it ends up being something that lives on, right? And that ends up being, you know, a shining example of the the talent of this person and the influence of this person.
3: Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Um, and also another, you know, great example of somebody that was out like relatively early on um, and and who was just like widely regarded as an incredible musician and in that way, through the just show of his through shining basically through shining his own yeah. personality um yeah like made inroads for people
1: yeah absolutely
2: wow i should have packed my
0: tissues for this
2: episode i'm like get i have a leo stellium and i'm just feeling so emotional it's very sweet mm-hmm.
0: yeah um all right, I'm trying to think if there's any other reflective points about that or any other things that are relevant uh, about Saturn and Leo before we move on. Were there any other examples that you would have included if we threw others in?
2: Oh gosh, I don't I don't have the uh, the notes handy. I just have my write-up that I've done, so I would have to take a look, but Okay. No problem. I can um, look at
1: some of these. Did you say earth, wind, and fire, shining star?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think most of these were said here. Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. Well, why don't we move on to Virgo then?
2: Excellent. This okay. is this is a super interesting transit. I, I've said that about the the mercurial signs. Um <laughs> But it's true. There's some neat, um, neat slash tragic history that happens here. Um, So Saturn in Virgo rounds out the seventies, and we get a lot more disco during this time. And so. The Bee Gees songs from Saturday Night Fever, which I, you know, talked about with Saturn and Leo, that soundtrack just takes over the billboard. If you look at the top songs from um, I think 77, it's just like Bee Gees, Bee Gees, Bee Gees. And it's interspersed with. Andy Gibb and Andy Gibb was actually the youngest brother of all the brothers, all the Gibb brothers who were in the band, the Bee Gees. So they're all brothers and they're all dominating the um, the, the year end hot 100 chart with Saturn and Virgo. And so what I think is really cool is that Mercury actually signifies brotherhood according to Valens. And um, so I just think that's a, that's a really neat thing that we have like brothers just taking over. Um, I also was thinking about how Mercury rules the hands and the arms and the shoulders. And in disco, you know, you get a lot of choreography that involves the hands and arms and shoulders. You also get at this time um, the YMCA by the village people, right, which has this choreography where you're literally like spelling things out with your arms and hands. So I think that that's that's really exciting and, and like fun to put together. Yeah. Um, so also, you know, the disco club, it's its becoming mainstream and, and it's becoming this um, place for singles to meet. And so I'm also thinking about singles as kind of an appropriate expression for a sign whose image is the Virgin. Right. Or the maiden or some, someone who maybe isn't coupled or partnered. Um, and so if we're if we're thinking of the Bee Gees as the disco kings. We get Donna Summer, who is the disco queen, and she was having her Saturn return at this time, um, and she had so many hits at the year on the year-end Hot 100. She had "Last Dance," "Hot Stuff," "Dim All the Lights," "Bad Girls," "MacArthur Park," "Heaven Knows," "No More Tears." Um, so. I think it's super important to mention her when we're talking about um, Saturn and Virgo. And I would also be really remiss not to mention Greece. (laughs) So we get another John Travolta movie um, and also his co-star is Olivia Newton-John. And so they both make the year-end Hot 100. And I just think Greece is such a quintessential Virgo um, expression because it's about cars and virgins (laughs) and so we have this expression of mercury which rules vehicles and transportation right um and and then virginity right which is so literal to virgo Another thing I noticed about this kind of virginal quality of this time um, was the Nax, My Sharona, which I think was, was number one for the year uh, when it came out. And um, it was written about like an adult who was in love with a 17-year-old. Um, so that's um, yeah, that's kind of an interesting note. Um, I also noted we see Um, bands that are named Kansas and bread. And that feels like a nod to Virgo's like signaling of wheat and grains and kind of the, you know, American heartland where those things grow. So, the history that I kind of wanted to bring into this section um, is that as I was researching Saturn and Virgo, I came across a documentary on the Bee Gees called How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? And something I really appreciated learning about them was that they completely changed their entire sound while they were recording the tracks for Saturday Night Fever. So, they had been a pretty popular band but I think people really know them for the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. And so this feels very mutable earth coded to me, like they just adapted to the musical mm. climate and it paid off huge for them until um, this was the really like tragic thing that I learned from this documentary was there is a day that is considered the day that disco died. And so this was the info I sent you Chris um, for this chart. So. As I had mentioned, disco was really hated in some circles Um, and, you know, I think we can draw the conclusion that this was a kind of racist and homophobic phenomenon because disco is associated with Black and gay people. And so in 1979, this Chicago DJ named Steve Dahl ran a promotional stunt called Disco Demolition at Comiskey Park Baseball Stadium. And he invited attendees to the baseball game that night to bring a disco record to blow up in the middle of the field. And what happened, according to this usher that's on the documentary, is that the records that people brought were by primarily Black artists, whether they were disco or not. Mm-hmm. And he said it felt like a book burning, but of Black music. And then there was this like calamitous riot on the field after that. And it was after that, that disco really kind of just stopped being popular, um, and so i think that chart is so wild i think I, I saw notice like uranus is on the midheaven so you get this like exploding and like killing things in scorpio and then mars and its joy in gemini in the sixth you know like you know a a, a burning of of books right but but it's music um And yeah, and then like looking at Leo in the in the eighth house of like the the dying of this sign that kind of brought disco into the mainstream, Um, and you know the the moon Saturn opposition on the nodes. I just think it's a super interesting chart um, to look at for this particular event.
0: Yeah, that Grand Square is super prominent in the chart. Where the one of the tightest aspects is like Mars squaring Saturn. Like Mars Mm -hmm. is at eleven Gemini, and it's squaring Saturn at ten. Virgo and then yeah. the moon comes up and completes a T square that night since the moon is at like 5 Pisces here so it's coming up and triggering the Mars Saturn square and then Neptune is like thrown into the mix in even in in um Sagittarius uh opposing Mars and squaring Saturn so that's like a lot of tension just in one one chart
2: yeah yeah super super sad event um But, you know, what's really interesting is that the Bee Gees then just pivoted again, which again, it feels Virgo or mutable earth coded where they just started writing loads of hits for other musicians.
0: Okay. So they were acting as writers for their That's super interesting in and of itself.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. Okay. I have
1: to say, Lindsay, I think you'll really like this. So Saturn and Leo as like bringing disco. And I just looked up and panic at the discos first song came out when Saturn was in Leo. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Disco everywhere. Um, All right. So let's look at the second era of Saturn and Virgo. We are now between 2007 and 2010. Lindsay actually helped me to generate some ideas here. Um, she sent me a document to say like look out for songs about kink and messiness. So we do get that. So we have songs like I Kissed the Girl by Katy Perry. We get Poker Face and Just Dance by Lady Gaga. Um TikTok by Kesha, which to me is like a messy party anthem and even the video was just very chaotic. Um, We get Taylor Swift's love story which I think brings in another side of Virgo and that's the storytelling that was in that song. And also to me the kind of innocence of Taylor Swift at that time and the innocence of that song I think in the video she's wearing like a Victorian like very chaste looking kind of dress as well. We also get single ladies. Um, And there's just so much to talk about here with Beyonce. First, we have hand movements again. So in the single ladies video, we have that. Um, Single again. So the Virgo virgin, the maiden, right? I'm okay with being by myself. So I just thought that was like, I I just connected those dots. I was like, wow, here we have like another (laughs) hand movement from Queen Virgo herself.
0: (laughs) Yeah. she And she famously has the sun in Virgo.
1: She famously has the sun in Virgo, absolutely. Um, The Saturn return example I want to look at for Virgo is Pink. So she released her album Fun House during her Saturn return. She has her Saturn in Virgo as well as a Virgo stellium. So you'll see here on the screen, giant Virgo energy. This was written during the disillusion of her marriage. So time and time again, we see that. Uh, relational drama is influencing these pivotal works. The lead single to this uh, album was So What, which I think is an instantly recognizable pink song. And it also became her second Billboard 100 hit. So she was having her return as she was topping the charts. Um, she called the album "Funhouse" because she said, quote, it's about when the box you are in does not fit anymore you want to burn that fucker down and start a new one. So it just made me think of the rebirth of the Saturn return period, how we are looking and examining the structures that have brought us to that point of life and are really deciding whether or not we want to keep those structures as we move forward. So like her specifically feeling like she wasn't in the right box and kind of breaking free. She says that this was her most vulnerable album to date, Um, So again, a kind of Saturn return sadness and honesty and sobriety kind of informing the lyrics here. I think she even got a little bit sober or she had a song called Sober (laughs) on this album. Um, And then you'll see on her chart, she has Venus nearby her Saturn. So again, bringing in quite literally Venus significations of relationships and music.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how much because she has so many close configurations to Saturn, which is at seventeen Virgo. And you when you mentioned the like burn it down thing, it made mm. me think of she has that very close like Mars Uranus trine with Mars at 20, um, 20 degrees of cancer and Uranus at seventeen Scorpio. And they're both closely square or closely sextile Saturn at seventeen degrees of Virgo. um and that yes. sounds similar to that like energy.
1: Yeah, and that Aries Moon in the six, like just breaking free, so just more, more. Yeah, going off the Mars there.
2: For sure. Mm, thinking about like Virgo too, and how the there's some sort of like maybe organizational qualities of it, and like you know putting things in boxes, yeah. and you know, and then her just being like, "Screw the box! I don't, I don't want to be involved with this box anymore." Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Perfect.
0: <laughs> For sure. Um, I was trying to look through my files. Or was there anything else you wanted to mention about Pink?
1: No, that's it.
0: Okay. Um, I was just looking through my files and I saw a funny one that just came up, which is um, one that you would not normally think of as a musician because he's not primarily. But um, Andy Samberg uh, has ah. Saturn in Virgo, and he was like a comedian that was in like a comedy troupe in the early to mid two thousands, and they started out making videos on YouTube, um, but then he got on SNL like later in the 2000s. And around this time, he actually started releasing like Making music on SNL, so they were doing these skits where they were doing these funny musical numbers. But with I'm on like, a boat, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Lonely Island, I love all of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, That's so I love funny. the Lonely Island as well. I knew somebody who was actually an astrologer who was actually in one of their early skits. Uh, skits. Laura Machete is actually in one of their early skits, which is really funny because I just saw it randomly <laughs> one day and I messaged her and I was like, "Are you in a Lonely Island skit for some reason?" <laughs> And she was like yeah yeah I am
3: that's amazing um, so
0: Virgo can do both yeah <laughs> yeah well it really makes me think of um you know Virgo and Mercury and that like sort of comedian aspect of of Virgo is something that that I've seen very prominently not just with him but with other people that are that have that dual role of being both a comedian but also being a musician um donald glover is another good example of that yeah who has like virgo rising and i think mercury and virgo on the ascendant or something right
1: mm, yeah it also makes me think of like how virgo is about perfecting skills and how in a lot of ways uh adam sandberg i think andy andy sandberg was uh taking his comedian skills and right and just applying it now to music and mm. the versus versatility of that kind of talent is is virgo to me
0: For sure. For sure. Yeah. The versatility and the ability to wear different hats or even to, you know, with Mercury being exalted there to like actually excel into completely different fields that aren't normally related, but to like actually reach almost like the top of both of those. So like, you know, in his instance, he was getting big movie roles or other things like that, but then he started getting awards like at that time for some of the music they were doing on SNL
1: hmm. Yeah. Um, Wearing many hats and being good. <laughs> it's very Virgo coded. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. It may-
2: even makes me think of like Andy Gibb, who one of the big ways that the Bee Gees music changed was that he started singing in vol- falsetto. So mm-hmm. he was singing in a lower register and then you get his,
1: oh, that a woman,
2: you know, and <laughs> And people thought, I mean, some people thought it was like truly funny, um, but, you know, it just points to, again, that versatility and that ability to kind of do both or adapt and that kind of, um, I mean, falsetto can be like a little silly sounding, but it's it's catchy and it's fun and exciting. It
3: is, it
0: is. Well, and that's the same thing with um, Donald Glover and like his song Redbone, remember, which he sings in that like really high tone?
3: Oh,
2: yeah. Interesting. And thinking of like Mercury signifying like kids, right? Who speak in a naturally higher voice. Oh wow, yeah.
0: That's a good point. Um, And really quickly, here's his chart, just because we do have a time chart for Donald Glover uh, slash Childish Gambino, and he just has twenty one Virgo Virgo rising, and then Mercury's like right there at sixteen Virgo, (laughs) um, having recently it's like stationary, like the day he was born, and I was just think of him because he's somebody that's excelled at all of these different things of like acting, stand-up comedy, music, you know, producing just many different hats. It's Mm. funny
1: because he has two names too. It's very material. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
2: So mutable. So mutable.
1: Yes.
0: For sure. All right. Is that good for Saturn in Virgo?
2: I think so. Great. So let's talk about Saturn in Libra. So we get Saturn in Libra from 1980 to 1983. And it feels really important as we move into this discussion of Saturn in Libra to mention the December 1980 great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in Libra. And so with this great conjunction, we get a very notable transition from 70s disco to an 80s Post-disco era with a more industrial, stripped-down electronic and mechanical sounds. And so it just seems really important in the greater context of like what we're talking about here today, because Saturn exalts in Libra and great conjunctions mark really big shifts in history. So this is the first air sign, great conjunction that we had in a very, very long time. Um, And so I noticed that 1980 is kind of a funny year for the Hot 100, the year-end Hot 100. Um, It doesn't feel quite as cohesive as all the other years preceding. And it struck me, I got this sense like music's almost having an identity crisis this year. There's like a huge shift happening and artists don't maybe quite have their footing. And so I think like there's a great song, that's sort of a meta commentary on this, which is Billy Joel's song, It's Still Rock and Roll to Me. And the lyrics are so great. I think they really describe the phenomenon of what's happening in 1980. He says, "Uh, what's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing? Can't you tell that your tie's too wide? Maybe I should buy some old tab collars. Welcome back to the age of jive. Where have you been hiding out lately, honey? You can't dress trashy till you spend a lot of money everybody's talking about the new sound funny, but it's still rock and roll to me. And so I do think we get some artists who are trying to kind of hold on to, you know, the past of music and then others who are embracing the future. So we do get this really interesting kind of conflict or tension in the year end Hot 100 for 1980. But then in 1981, some more concrete Libran themes emerge. And so, I want to name primarily themes of women, beauty, and femininity, also equity, particularly women's equity. what I'm calling mushy gushy ooey gooey love songs. I mean, it's just really laid on thick with some of these love songs. Um, and then other associated image imagery with Libra. Um, and I also noticed there were some songs on this list that are sort of can canonical for wedding reception DJs. Like it's like those songs that you just hear every wedding reception you go to. <laughs> um, so some, I mean, some of this research like really made me chuckle so I started looking through, and just the sheer number of songs whose titles, titles alone refer to women, um, which is of course an identity that's one of the signifiers of Venus, um, so we have Kim Carnes, uh, Betty Davis eyes, Kenny Rogers lady. Rick Springfield's uh, Jessie's Girl, John Lennon's Woman, Air Supply's Every Woman in the World, The Oak Ridge Boys' Elvira, Barbara Streisand's Woman in Love, The Commodore's Lady. It just goes like on and on. It's amazing how many songs are, they're just about, about women. Wow. Um, and then also we get a lot of like hearts and roses and kisses. So we get Hall and Oates' Kiss on My List, Juice Newton's Queen of Hearts, Bruce Springsteen's "Hungry Heart," Marty Balin's "Hearts," Frankie and the Knockouts' "Sweetheart," and mm-hmm. Bette Midler's "The Rose." So it really is. I mean, it's sort of like walking into I don't know, like a Hallmark store or something. A lot, a lot of the imagery that we get from Saturn in in Libra, and then of course you know, some really special timeless love songs. So we get Lionel Richie and Diana Ross's Endless Love. We get Grover Washington Jr.'s Just the Two of Us, The Pointer Sisters' Slow Hand. Um, and then one of the songs that I was like what which which of us has not danced to this song at our cousin's wedding cool in the gangs celebration right so um, super super fun, and then, you know just ending on a couple kind of uh, social notes right so We get a few songs about women's equity in the workplace, notably Dolly Parton's Nine to Five. So I pulled some of the uh, verses from this song. They let you dream just to watch them shatter. You're just a step on the boss man's ladder. But you got dreams he'll never take away in the same boat with a lot of your friends waiting for the day your ship will come in and the tide's going to turn and it's all going to roll you away, which is interesting, feels kind of counterpuntal to um, James Brown's Black and Proud, like some of the lyrics that I read earlier with Aries. And so, you know, I seeing this theme both in Aries and Libra of songs about um, equity, social equity, right? And then we also get Diana Ross's I'm Coming Out, which is a song she wrote about getting out from underneath her label, but then got like adopted by the queer community as a queer anthem, which I think is super awesome. It's just so, and she like went with it. She was like, that's fine, let's do it. And then the last thing that I noticed about Saturn in Libra is we get the emergence of the band The Police, um, which feels like a nod to kind of social order and the legal implications of Libra, which is represented by the image of the scales. And Sting, who's the leader of The Police, has his Saturn, Sun, Moon, and Neptune in Libra. And so he was having his Saturn return when The Police made the year end Billboard Hot 100. Wow. Yeah, That's
0: super incredible. interesting. Wow. Um. Yeah, those themes of Saturn and Libra are very, very vivid in those. Yes. All right.
1: In the, yeah, in the second era of Saturn and Libra, we're looking at the years of two thousand nine to two thousand twelve. One thing I noted about the end and billboard end list of billboard. I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> the billboard 100 end of the year list for 2010, a lot of them were groups and features. So a lot of collaborations under Libra, which is a sign that famously has a lot to do with collaborations. We also get um, songs like Need You Now by Lady Antebellum, now Lady A, so very mushy-gushy love songs here. Songs about women, so we get Katy Perry's California Girls, we get Train's Hey Soul Sister, um, we get Lady Gaga's Bad Romance, and so that just made me think like Saturn is sometimes that which is tortured. Um, I mm. think there's even a skeleton in that video, It's <laughs> <So> very <laughs> bones, very Saturn-coded there. Um, if you noted it here, we have two ladies too, so we have Lady A and Lady Gaga, which I think is funny. Um, in 2011, we get fun party songs, too. So we get party, party Rock Anthem by LMFAO. We get Love the Way You Lie with Eminem and Rihanna. So another duet here, but also about love. Um, we get Rihanna's also We Found Love dot 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 in a hopeless place, it's kind of Saturnian. Um, mm. Somebody that I used to know, Carly Rae Jepsen's Call Me Maybe. It's so, so flirty there. And then Super Bass by Nicki Minaj and that debut album of hers, Pink Friday and Pink Everything and how she was very Barbie-esque, to me, just screams Libra as well. Mm, The Saturn Return, me too. It's one of the (laughs) best. (laughs) The Saturn Return example here is Beyonce. We do not have a time chart, which is... uh, very much known in the astrology community about what her rising sign is, but nevertheless, she has Saturn in much Libra. debated, much debated, <laughs> heated it's, debates. Might I? There's add. like a
0: there's like a strong, <laughs> like Libra rising camp and a strong Scorpio rising camp, right?
1: That's yeah. Right. Which one are you in, Chris and Camille? <laughs> You're not going <gonna laughs> like to dare to say, energy, but I am team Libra rising. <laughs>
0: And then Lindsay, are you Scorpio rising? I'm Scorpio hard?
2: rising. I have Libra rising, and I I just don't see it. But
0: I love, I love this. I like that this is turning into like almost like a r- religious fight in the astrological community with different <laughs> Truly. partisans. Yes. Like yeah. Um, <laughs> and what about you,
2: Chris? Are you remaining agnostic here?
0: I am to- agnostic as to the true rising sign of Beyonce. I could see it going either way. I um I mean I lean towards wanting that libra stellium to be more prominent than than it would be in the scorpio chart just cuz it's so there it's like so strong in her chart um i would almost want it to be in a place that would be bringing it to greater i don't know prominence than just putting it in the 12th house but mm-hmm. you know it's hard to say
2: hard yeah. to say who knows? I, I think of um, Sam Reynolds taught me about associating the 12th house with recording studios. And so I think of her being one of the greatest recording artists of all time, that, that makes a lot of sense, but I mean, that's, okay. that's a topic for a different discussion. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So the Saturn return example is Beyonce here. So controversy aside, either way, she has Saturn and Libra. So this is when she came out and surprise dropped her self-titled Beyonce, um, which makes a lot of sense for like reintroducing yourself, like this is who I am now. Um, It was written and recorded during the latter half of Saturn's transit through Libra. She also became a mother at this time, which is a key Saturn return event for a lot of folks. Um, The album was described by others as dark, a little bit more moody, a little bit more textured. It explored more of Beyonce's sexuality. Beyonce herself stated around this time that she felt stifled by the role model kind of mold that she was in. And she said, quote, she earned the right to express every side of herself. So again, mm. the Saturn return coming of age, showing more facets of one's humanity. Interestingly, here we also see uh, a lot of songs about monogamous love. This is an album that's hot and sexy, but she's married to Jay-Z. And so that's Saturn exalted in the sign of Libra, right? Really going the distance with somebody. And also, mm. um, This album and the visuals around it and the performances around it really emphasized feminism. And this is like the time I would say Beyonce came out as a feminist. If you remember, she was performing at an award show and the words feminist came up in big block letters behind her. Um, so yeah just tying in what Lindsay said about the prior saturn and libra era we get a lot of exploration of gender roles even just through beyonce's album here
2: Mm, that's so interesting
1: yeah
0: yeah that's brilliant um and i think well hopefully we find out her birth time at some point like that would be Terrible. There's like some charts, like we all have our top charts of that we we just desperately want to see someday. But that's definitely one because also that the Saturn and Libra stuff it just makes me think of you know that being the sign of Saturn's exaltation and just hitting the highest point in one's field. And I think her, she's one of those rare artists where you just see somebody hit the highest point and then you don't think they can ever top it, but then somehow they keep coming back and going higher mm-hmm. and higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that theme of exaltation and like rising to the top of something symbolically, I think she she just exudes very well.
3: Absolutely, mm, yeah.
2: That's such a great point. Yeah, and her union, right? Um, like being in a celebrity couple, and it's just yeah. Yeah.
1: power couple.
2: It's that's really a
0: great couple. point. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And how they've like reinforced each other, and like both of their boats have kind of have risen as a, partially as a result of their union, but also just two people being like immensely talented independently. But what happens when you like put that together?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, but then of course it not always being easy and like her album after this period would have been Lemonade, right?
1: Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, cool. I was just looking through my files and trying to see if I had any good musicians in my like personal chart files of, Saturn in Libra. And the two main ones that came up, two that came up was Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the Justin Timberlake one, I just looked it up really quickly on Wikipedia and his was interesting because during this time when Saturn was in Libra and he's going through a Saturn return, um, he actually quit doing music for a while and focused on being in movies and trying to make a switch in careers to acting. Um Wikipedia says from 2008 to 2012, Timberlake paused his musical career to focus on an acting career starring in the films The Love Guru, The Social Network, Bad Teacher, Friends with Benefits, and End Time. And it's just like 2008, 2010, 2011, 2011, 2011. And then it says he resumed his music career in 2013 with his third and fourth albums. And by then Saturn had moved into Scorpio. So wow. um it also says that during that time he got married in 2012.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: um that can sometimes be a theme. I've seen sometimes a Saturn returns in other fields, but it seems relevant here as well, where sometimes somebody will be have have been working in one field, but sometimes they'll pause or think about making a transition into a completely different one entirely.
1: Yeah. Is it just me or are some of those movie titles kind of Libran? Social network,
0: social network, friends with uh, benefits,
1: friends with benefits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: in, in in time, the love guru,
1: the love guru. Yeah, not all of them, but some of them. That's funny.
0: Well, and then of course you know, um, and then Britney Spears, you know, um, also Saturn and Libra, and during that time, she was in the early phases of her conservatorship, where her she was put under like the trust of like her father and. Legally, and she didn't have like full control of her own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and she released an album at some point during there, but that would be an example of like some of the tensions that were happening where her career and her life was completely under the control of somebody else, and that must have been you know very difficult.
1: Yeah, under control by a father figure, so Saturnian and paternal and patriarchy, all of that. Wow, yeah. and yeah. now
2: we're, we're having, yeah, now we're having eclipses. In Libra, and um, and both she and Justin Timberlake are having some things revealed that were previously obscured. Yes,
0: right. When her her autobiography came out, I guess just last month, when when that eclipse in Libra took place in her first house, and yeah. I guess all over their mutual Saturn and Libras, bringing to light some things from their their previous relationship. Yeah, wild yeah, that's super interesting. So I think that's a good theme then of how sometimes the Saturn Libra ones can bring in relationships in different ways and that ties into the music sometimes directly or or sometimes indirectly.
1: Mm. yeah, and there's like a mirroring where Brittany and and Justin are like in the same kind of topic, but on different sides of the of the conversation
0: mm. for sure, for sure. All right. Is that good for Saturn and Libra?
3: Yeah,
2: I I think so. Yeah. So let's move into Saturn in Scorpio 1982 to 85. So I would imagine that folks listening or watching by now could guess (laughs) some of the major musical motifs of Saturn in Scorpio. This time period gets very spooky and edgy and dark. So we have a nocturnal sign ruled by Mars. So it makes sense that the themes and the sounds would resemble, um, things that go bump in the night. Right. And so I will say now that if you ever host a Halloween party and you want a suitable playlist, just throw on the billboard hot 100 from 1982, three or four, and you will be good to go. (laughs) It's really wild. So we go from this almost saccharine and bright, like bright pink sounds of Libra to blood, sweat and tears with Scorpio. So really, really, um, pronounced shift in the music with this transit. So a huge theme of Saturn and Scorpio billboard hits is exercise. <laughs> and it's sort of like in this theme of, um, training, right? Um, or, or resistance even. So that feels really martial to me. Um, especially in Scorpio, it's not the performance of the exercise, but it's like the strategic training that goes unseen before the competition. So just thinking about, um, we have Olivia Newton-John's physical and The music video is basically a training montage, but also an allusion to sex. So that feels very scorpion. We get survivors eye of the tiger, right? Which is part of the Rocky three soundtrack. And so we get, this is associated with this Rocky um, training montage. Nice. (laughs) So good. We get, I think it is it Evangelists, um, Chariots of Fire, um, which is uh from it's a you know song from a movie of the same name, um, which opens to the song. It's another training montage, right? So training montages are really Saturn and Scorpio. Um it's like, a, coded. It's like,
0: a, it's like an endurance thing, like when you're yeah. doing a training montage and that's it's a fixed sign. And that's one of the things about Scorpio is like endurance, but also like holding something and holding that in. For an extended period of time, for as as long as you can.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, and like getting up before the sun and like training at night, you know, when everyone else is sleeping. (laughs) I always always
0: play uh, "Eye of the Tiger" for me and like Austin and and Kelly or others for the forecast episodes when we're about to do the like year ahead (laughs) forecast episode. We're trying to hype each other up, and yeah, and then we we try to go in, you know, optimistic and ready. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so good. It really, I mean, and it's funny, you know, that we're doing this with the um, Mars Kazemi in Scorpio. I was, you know, listening to some of this as I was preparing and I was like, damn, this is great music for right now. So like, yeah, go, if you're, if you know, you want to get into that kind of fight mood, th- these years are so good for it. Um, we also get um, the movie Footloose and the the song from it um, by Kenny Loggins, Footloose. And so this is, you know, there's this, Um, subversiveness to dancing right it's like we're going to dance against the morality laws um, in our town you know and we're going to like break the we're going to break the law with our with our movement and our subversive dancing so I really love that. And also you get Bruce Springsteen's song dancing in the dark right so it's it's different than maybe like the Leonine dancing, which is really bright and you know it's it's out in the open. But this is like secret dancing, <laughs> nighttime dancing. It's so good. Um, but then we get, there's a, a whole kind of subset of songs you know, with Saturn and Scorpio that are kind of freaky. They're about like stalking and spying and secrecy. Um, and so that does feel very like a scorpion, you know, the animal that hides from the light of the sun and the moon. Um, so perhaps most famous, famously, we get the police's Every Breath You Take, but we also get Hall and Oates's Private Eyes, the Go Go's "Our Lips Are Sealed," Michael Jackson's "Billie Jean," and Billy Idol "Eyes Without a Face."
0: Every breath you take is Saturn in Scorpio. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. <laughs> creepy.
1: It's so creepy.
0: <laughs> well, and it's not usually. I'll be you. That's what's funny about it, though, is like it it was almost like misunderstood later. It's like a love song or something like that, but it's actually more little not really right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not great. It's, it's like, I'll be watching you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be tracking your every move. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. So, um, also we get some other kind of creepy songs that are more like the objectification or even like the vilification of women. So, um, we get songs like the, uh, I think it's J Giles band centerfold. So angel is the centerfold. Um, where he talks about someone he like went to high school with that he then sees in a porno magazine and and then like his kind of, you know, uh, fantasies about that. Um, we get Hall and Oates man eater. Um, and we get the human leagues. Don't you want me, which is the creepiest song. I think they used it in a Swiffer commercial like 15 years ago. And I just like really remember that, but, you know, it's, it's basically like you were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar and then I met you and then I like made you who you are. And like, you say that you don't want me, but you'll really be sorry if you don't go out with me and you don't actually have a choice because I, I made you successful and it's so creepy. So yeah, some really like (laughs) CD songs with Saturn and Scorpio but of course, every sign also has its love songs, right? So I'm thinking, what are love songs with Saturn and Scorpio? Like they are nothing like the love songs we've yet seen. They tell us a lot, I think, about Venus's condition in the sign. So here's just like a list of some of the love songs we have. We have Joan Jett and the Black Hearts, I love rock and roll. <laughs> we get soft cells, tainted love, quarter flashes, heart in my heart. Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart, Duran Duran's Hungry Like the Wolf, Prince's Little Red Corvette, Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It, and Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield. And all of these songs are so raw and maybe even a little cynical and animalistic. Um, And I'd also, I'd be remiss not to mention Marvin Gaye's Sexual Healing. And that's from his final album, which was released during Saturn and Scorpio. And then last but certainly not least, we get songs that maybe we directly associate with Halloween, which of course occurs during Scorpio season. We get Steve Miller Band's Abracadabra. We get Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters and the movie Ghostbusters and Michael Jackson's Thriller. So super fun Saturn period, in my opinion. I'm
0: so glad you mentioned Thriller because that is, look at this astrology of the release of Thriller. Um, It was released Uh, From what I can tell, on November 29th or November 30th, November 29th, 1982, literally the day that Saturn ingressed into Scorpio was like (laughs) earlier that day. Um, Saturn goes into Scorpio and then Thriller, the album, was released. And then um, the music video for Thriller uh, was released about a year later. And that is... There it is. December 2nd, 1983. And it was like the moon was conjoining Saturn and Pluto in Scorpio um, when Thriller was released. And it's such a perfect, like some of the th- the keywords you were using of like spooky things like earlier, it's such a perfect encapsulation of that.
2: Yeah, very. That chart made me want to howl at the moon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, what's yeah. funny is that Michael Jackson's Thriller stayed on like number one for 37 weeks and set like the world record and it made me think wow. of Scorpio and rallying, just rally. Yes. <laughs> We're still number one. We're still number one. Yes. So the endurance of that song is funny. Like a
2: training montage <laughs> every day yes. that song gets up and hits number one <laughs> on the, on the charts. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> so that's really interesting because he, he was um, Saturn and Sagittarius uh it looks like yes. so that means that was bef- it was released before his saturn return but i wonder then if that the the staying power of that and the length of it if that like extended over into his saturn return or i guess either it would have extended into it barely to the beginning or he would have like released thriller but then the immediate aftermath of that huge hit which i think was his biggest hit would have been his, his saturn return oh
2: that's yeah. an interesting thought yeah
0: yeah, and I forgot to mention just for those that haven't seen the Thriller music video, it's like they, they're literally doing a dance number as zombies, right?
2: Mhm. Yeah. yeah, and like werewolves, I think, you know, different yeah, creatures of the night.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's brilliant. So everyone should watch that if you haven't yet. Yeah. Um, those are amazing I was, examples.
1: I was just looking at some notes so Michael Jackson's Satan's Return album was bad. And it came out, like, after Thriller, but, like, in between those two, it says, like, he was just crushed under the weight of Celebrity. So it's, like, the bigness of a song, you know, right before or during the Saturn return, it's, like, either way, the pressure is on. Wow. Um, So that's very interesting. Wow.
0: Yeah, that must have been intense because he's just, like, the biggest uh musician in the world at that at that point but also the the public scrutiny must have just been like intense yeah 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 because he he later had that thing there's like a video out there of him at one point he went to and like bought out a a a grocery store just so he could experience what it would be like to like go into a grocery store and like shop for groceries without just being mobbed by like tons of people
2: oh boy that's That's a bummer Yeah. yeah I I remembered when I was researching this I I was wondering if there were associations between monsters and the moon because the Scorpio is the sign of the moon's fall. And etymologically, the two are actually not related, but monsters is etymologically related to money. And I thought that was very interesting if we think of the moon as fortune in the chart and fortune falling in Scorpio and then this being a sign where we get monsters. And then the monster mash came out much earlier with um, Saturn and cancer. So we also get um, something with like the moon um, yeah. and, and monsters as well. So it's kind of interesting etymology there.
1: Yeah. Nice. Werewolves come out during a full moon, vampires in the nighttime mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even that thing about, you know, um, we always hear those anecdotes from like doctors and nurses about like, hospitals being like so much more busy on full moons, yes. um, with people having accidents or, or whatever. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Yeah. All right.
1: Um, yeah. So let's look at the latter Scorpio Saturn and Scorpio season. Now we're between 2012 and 2015. So in 2013 we get radioactive by Imagine Dragons and I don't know about you guys dragons also just occurred to me as very scorpionic. Yes, <laughs> we get blurred lines by Robin Thicke, which was a song riddled with controversy. So it's like meta Scorpio, where the co- where the content of the song and video itself was hypersexual. And then the reaction to that song, both culturally and legally, became like a huge thing as well. We get Katy Perry's Dark Horse, which she said was inspired by the craft. We get lyrics like She will eat your heart out like Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, don't make me your enemy. <laughs> so very wow. dark. We get uh, Miley Cyrus's, sure. oh please, go ahead.
0: So, uh, and she's, she's my time twin, Katy Perry, which I always like to joke, it could have been my like alternate career, uh, so that, so Katy Perry, dark horse was, was Katy Perry's Saturn return. That means that that's basically when she was like on top of the world, like, like music wise would have been around her Saturn return.
1: Yeah. So those themes coming out really, really happy for her. Um, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was going to round that year out with uh, Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball, right? So to like destroy something. Mm -hmm. Um, We get Macklemore's. The
0: the Miley Cyrus one is good also because that ties in with the Robin Thicke one because then they did a performance together at the VMAs that year, which was like highly um, controversial uh, and and like sexualized, not just because of his song, but then her and her performance and that period was very much because she has some Scorpio placements and that period was very much her trying to come into her own as an adult and like make the transition from being like a child you know star on like Disney and stuff like that to like being an adult and trying to almost like very vigorously or almost like violently like push away the child star image and and Mm -hmm. you know step into her sort of adulthood in that way.
1: Yeah, I believe she has her moon in Scorpio in the seventh. Uh, okay. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense, like the pressure to shed that skin. And even shedding skin is like very scorpionic. Mm, okay. um, I was going to round out that year with Macklemore's Thrift Shop. So on its face, it doesn't seem scorpionic, but it reminded me of scarcity and resourcefulness and how thrifting is resourceful. Um, So Scorpio kind of tying in there. Digging through trash for treasure. (laughs) Digging through trash for treasure. Like one man's trash is another man's gold. Yeah. Um, The following year we get the breakout of Iggy Azalea. And I just want to mention that back to back with Macklemore because their prominence was met with high controversy. (laughs) So it's like a lot of these songs were not only scorpionic in nature, but the culture and the reaction to them were also very scorpionic. Moving on, we get songs like Pompeii, which is about a volcanic eruption. We get darker love songs like Rude, Black Widow, again by Iggy Azalea, Problems, again by Iggy Azalea. So that just makes me think of Venus's detriment in the sign of Scorpio. We get Lord bursting out on the scene with like a darker, moodier pop, and she too has Scorpio placements. We get songs like John Legend's All of Me and Sam Smith's Stay With Me, which to me are these slower burning songs about intense desire or merging with another person to be like, quote, under the influence of heavy attraction, which mm-hmm. just feels very martial as well. We get Nicki Minaj's Anaconda. So here we have snakes as being very literal. (laughs) And then lastly, or not lastly, but we also get uh, Drunk in Love by Beyonce. So from the previous album that she put out under Libra. Um, So this was just about like literally having sex. Jay-Z in the song, his verse uh, makes allusions or the comparison between sex and beating things up, which was also very controversial. Um, I think he references Ike Turner, which people really didn't like. Um, Interestingly, at the end of this Saturn and Scorpio season, we get Pharrell's happy. (laughs) And Lindsay noted that this was like an interesting prelude to like the Sagittarius season that was oncoming. Mm. But I even saw it as Scorpionic in that it is resisting. I'm going to defend my right to be happy so yes. we have lyrics like, can't nothing bring me down. You can try to warn me. I'll be fine. Here you come bringing bad news. I don't care, pretty much. So that kind of made sense in, in the spirit of of Scorpio. The yeah, Saturn- if I
2: recall that came out. Oh, sorry, Camille. Uh, no, please. But it came out during like 2015, like the like huge Black Lives Matter movement. Oh, yes. And yeah, so a resistance song is exactly how I'd yeah. qualify it too. Yeah.
1: Joy as resistance. Absolutely. Um, the and return example I wanted to talk about uh, is Billy, Billy Idol. So Lindsay already brought this up. So his album, Rubble Yell. So in that title, we see it. <laughs> um, the lead singles there were Eyes Without a Face and Flesh for Fantasy. So these very creepy scorpionic themes, uh, inspired by Idol's love of French horror films and like a particularly gruesome horror film that he was obsessed with at the time um he was also kind of going through personally his own relationship issues so you know a relationship had gone wrong at this time he said quote during this time he was on the edge of disintegrating into madness so it just feels very heavy very dark very squirmyotic as well um Another thing here, just like fun fact, is that Billy Idol actually ended up writing a memoir about his life and about this period of time during his second Saturn return when he was 59. So I like seeing the Saturn cycles through time and seeing the people age through time and how they look back and reference their own first Saturn return bodies of work too.
0: So cool. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, okay. Um, I had a really famous Saturn and Scorpio example that I always loved because that was my Saturn return since I'm Saturn in Scorpio, but I always observed this one as it was happening. Um, and it was actually one that I already mentioned earlier, but Donald Glover or Childish Gambino was going through his Saturn return at this time. Um, and I ended up actually writing an article about this way back in the day, uh, 10 years ago. Now I can't believe Um, It was 10 years ago, but (laughs) that we're talking about events that long or like blog posts that long ago. But um, I used to do a blog called Saturn Return Stories um, with Lisa Shine. And one of my entries for that is back then in 2013, because what happened is Donald Glover, um, he was like super active, is uh, doing his first, I think, first music album and doing like comedy and acting and everything else and then he just went like silent on social media for months and sort of like disappeared all of a sudden to the extent that people started talking about it like where is he what happened to him because he really wow. seemed to pull back from public life and then just out of nowhere he drops this like series of handwritten notes that are these really like intense reflections at the time about what he was going through and some of the things that he was feeling um, and it was so evocative of like him of a person going through the middle of their Saturn return and his Saturn return in Scorpio. Um, let me just read some of them. And and it's like the handwritten notes look like this, but some of the things that he wrote on this series of like five or six notes that he posted, I don't know if it was on Twitter or Instagram, somewhere on social media, but it said, "I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid my parents won't live long enough to see my kids. I'm afraid my show will fail." I'm scared my girl will get pregnant and not at the exact time we want. I'm scared I'll never reach my potential. I'm afraid she's still in love with that dude. I'm scared I'll never grow out of out of this ter- like skit that he did called bro rape like earlier in his career, um, that mm. was like sort of controversial. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna go into it. So, he says I'm afraid um, people will think I hate my race. I'm afraid people will think I hate women. I hate people can say that like, people can say anything I hate caring what people think I'm afraid there's someone better for you or me I feel like I'm letting everyone down I'm afraid people hate who I really am I'm afraid I hate who I really am I'm scared people will find out what I what I masturbate to which is a funny sign scorpio thing I'm afraid I'm here for nothing I feel that this will feel pretentious I'm afraid this is all an accident I'm scared I'll be Tyrese, referring to like another crossover singer-actor. He says, I'm afraid Dan Harmon hates me. I'm scared I won't know anything ever again. I'm scared I never knew anything. I'm afraid I'll regret this. I'm afraid this doesn't matter at all. yeah, he, and he keeps going. I didn't leave community to rap. I don't want to rap. I want to be on my own. And he keeps going on and there's other stuff, but it was like such an intense thing. And what happens right after that is then he drops I think his second album, which was because of the internet, which was the first album where he really started to like come out as a musician and people started to consider him like maybe he really could be. A good rapper. It wasn't like wildly successful, but it was the first indication that maybe his side interest in music wasn't just a fluke that he could actually be talented there. And then after that is when he started releasing some of his other albums that became wildly, wildly successful and established him as you know like a major musician in addition to an actor and a comedian. Wow. But yeah. But during his set return, that was some of the stuff he was going through, and it was just a very rare instance where we're able to see insights into somebody's like actual thoughts and reflections as they're going through that. And I thought those were very um you know similar to what other people experience in their Saturn return or what especially some of his like Saturn and Scorpio reflections and things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah very heavy. Yeah. Glad 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 you're both through it. Yeah <laughs> you he came Saturn out on the other return. side. Yeah.
1: I was gonna ask you Lindsay where's your Saturn?
2: It's I mean that could be a great segue. It's in Sagittarius. <laughs> oh nice. <yes. laughs>
1: well, next up.
2: <laughs> cue the saxophone. <laughs> so much sex. So much sex. Are we ready to move into Sagittarius? Yeah, okay, great. Well, then literally cue the saxophone. Um I was just laughing so much uh, going through this music from 1985 to 1988. There is like a wailing sax solo on so many different songs. Um, and I, to the extent that I even like made a note about it in our, in this document here. Um, and Camille mentioned that, um, I guess you looked up the the chart of the inventor Adolphe Sax. Camille. Yes. Um, has a, a Sagittarius stellium. So it's true. He had Neptune, Mercury and Uranus in, Sagittarius so I don't know I just (laughs) I just thought it was appropriate to start off this section by talking about the saxophone which (laughs) was designed for the express purpose of being loud in a military band and so there's something about this that feels very Sagittarian very you know like a wild centaur blazing forth on their quest with like a loud saxophone solo um But, you know, just like Sagittarius, the saxophone is very adaptable or mutable. And so you can get loud or soft. Um, You can do like a low growl or a careless whisper, which is my the only joke I'll attempt um, this episode. Um, But (laughs) this is the top song of 1985 by George Michael. So um, really, careless whisper
0: was Saturn and Sag. That's beautiful. It's like a classic, almost cliche saxophone song at this point.
2: It's so cliche. It It is is so good.
0: There's actual skits of that that are just like the sexy (laughs) saxophone song and like people playing it in the supermarket or something.
2: Yes. Yes. And so we get that in like Bruce Springsteen music. I mean, I think I was reading that some people feel that it was really influenced too by um, the house band on SNL and like saxophone was like a really big thing with that. And so, yeah, it is a funny kind of palate cleanser for Saturn and Scorpio, which is I like know. so heavy and serious and spooky. And then you just get like. Wah,
3: wah, wah, wah. <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Um, But, you know, beyond saxophone being a theme, which it definitely is with Saturn and Sagittarius, um, the billboard music is just, it's big, it's cinematic, it's aspirational, it's inspirational. You know, Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter. So we get, um, you know, the significations of like spiritual meaning and charity and beneficence. And the music really reflects this with strong themes of soul and spirituality and higher love and songs about like the world, you know, like it's just talking about the world in general or like cities. Um, And, you know, we also get themes of social unity. And then there's even some kind of cool Jupiterian or like jovial images of thunder and lightning. so let's just jump into some of the hits. I mean, a lot of the songs, even the ones about romantic love have this kind of spiritual meaningful element to it. So I pulled a few, but I think the lyrics are um, really you know, appropriate for this. So we have St. Elmo's Fire by John Parr. Um, and he sings, I can see a new horizon, right? Just there, new horizon feels like very Sagittarius. Bring me that horizon. Underneath the blazing sky, I'll be where the eagles flying higher and higher. Gonna be your man in motion. All I need's this pair of wheels. Take me where my futures lie in Saint Elmo's fire. So I don't know. I feel like there's a Sagittarius image in every line of that. Um, we also get the band Chicago, which is named for a for a city, right? Um, you're the inspiration. So they're saying you're the meaning in my life you're the inspiration. You bring feeling to my life. You're the inspiration. So inspirational love again. And then I love this song. I feel like if I had to pick a song for my Saturn and Sag, it would be this song. It's Steve Winwood's higher love. And so he sings, think about it. There must be higher love down in the heart or hidden in the stars above without it. Life is wasted time. Look inside your heart. I'll look inside mine. Um, and then, you know, I think one of my favorite love songs of this time that maybe isn't even about romantic love at all is Whitney Houston's um, The Greatest Love of All. And in this song, she sings, the greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. So it's just some really kind of big aspirational love songs that come through during Saturn and Sagittarius. And we also get a number of songs that are written for charity at this time or written to address social ills. So one of the biggest examples of this is USA for Africa. So this was a huge celebrity collaboration of 45 like mega stars, and they performed the song, We Are the World, um, which I, I remember the song coming out. Um, I think Chris, Chris, you and I were old enough to remember, Camille, I'm not sure if you do, but um, it was to raise money for a famine in Ethiopia that killed like a million people. It was a horrible, uh, horrible thing. Um, but then there's the song to try to address that. Um, we also get Lionel Richie's Love Will Conquer All. And Bruce Hornsby's The Way It Is, um, which I think Tupac sampled. Uh, So Mm -hmm. that's like, that's pretty interesting that that came out during Saturn and Sagittarius. Um, And then I just have a couple kind of one offs. Another really interesting phenomenon is we get the song La Bamba um, from Los Lobos, and it was the first Latin song ever. So it was a crossover um, from the Latin charts. It was the first one to ever reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on just like the standard Billboard chart. And... What's really interesting is 28 years earlier in 1959, Richie Vallon's version of La Bamba was the first to enter, uh, first Latin song to enter the billboard. So kind of interesting, I mean, about a Saturn cycle, 28 years um, and the other Latin song that made the billboard was Guantanamera by the sandpipers, and that was in 1966. So um, kind of you know, thinking of like international or global, we get this song that's completely in Spanish, um, you know, coming onto the billboard Hot 100. And then speaking of crossover moments, this is a super important historical moment in music because we get Run DMC's remake of Aerosmith's Walk This Way. And so you get this, I think it's kind of, a cool example of Sagittarian mutability or like two-bodiedness, where you have this song that's rap and rock. And it's sort of the the vehicle, almost like the Trojan horse, if you will, by which hip hop ends up on the on the billboard. Um and so yeah, I just think that's really cool. And Aerosmith's Walk This Way, it did it made the the top 102, I want to say like 10 years earlier, like in 76 or something. I don't have the date right offhand. Um And then, you know, lastly, I've just like noticed songs like U2's um, Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram did Somewhere Out There, which was from the Will Goes West soundtrack. Um, And so to me, these are just really nice kind of songs that convey the Sagittarian quest for meaning and that that's never really over as long as there's another horizon to go toward.
0: That's amazing. Somewhere Out There was Saturn and Sagittarius
2: hmm
0: yeah Love that is Fievel. a bible f- right
1: bible goes west
0: well yeah. not even the theme itself was about like traveling and like going out you know yeah. far far away from home
1: yeah manifest destiny going out west yeah it's very jupiterian yeah All um right. yeah so let's look at the latter saturn in sagittarius era now we are in the years of 2015 to 2017 So in 2015, we get Bruno Mars's Uptown Funk, which is funky. There's sax in this song. I looked it up, the instrumentation. Uh, is extravagant. It's kind of comical. So again, dealing within the realm of Jupiter quite firmly. We get Maroon 5's Sugar, which was described as a funk pop song. We get Walk the Moons, Shut Up and Dance. So just have a good time. We get Hosiers. Uh, take me to church. And then we get thinking out loud as well, which are two songs about love as this deeply religious experience and love as being quite aspirational. And then we also get major lasers lean on, which to me just reminds me of friendship and Jupiterian kind of support. Um, Actually, I'm going to skip to 2017 here because it's so interesting. We get Despacito, And just piggybacking off of what Lindsay said, this was the first Latin single to be certified Diamond. It was also the best performing Latin track of all time. So under Saturn and Sagittarius, we get these foreign language artists and songs breaking records, right? And kind of becoming relevant, right, to the masses. And I just think that's so, so, so cool that that was something that was repeated this time around. Also, I looked it up. I don't think it was on the Billboard 100, but I just wanted to say that Thunder by Imagine Dragons also came out when Saturn wasn't sad. So we get the thundering of Jupiter. And then we get Believer by Imagine Dragons, which did top the charts. Uh, Congratulations by Post Malone. So just celebratory things. We get Cardi B's Bodak Yellow. And this is important in terms of a Latin, right, singer or rapper becoming deeply, deeply popular. Um, And it was a massive international hit as well. We get wild thoughts with Rihanna. So just having, you know, just Sagittarian kind of just recklessness, right, even in the thinking. (laughs) And then we also get Kendrick Lamar's Humble, which to me is more of this meta comment on Jupiterian excess and ego and artifice. The Saturn return example I want to use for this is Lady Gaga. So she has Saturn in Sagittarius and she released her album, Joanne during this time, just like with Beyonce, we're seeing this mirroring of like names, right? Kind of this is who I am or reclamation of identity. Joanne is actually the name of an aunt of hers that passed away. So this is a tribute to her. And that made me think of how... Saturn has a lot to do with lineage and legacy and inheritance. Um, Joanne, noticeably for Lady Gaga, just like with David Bowie, was shedding a costume, just a cowboy hat, some jeans, (laughs) a white t-shirt, which is very crazy for a woman who was wearing a meat dress a couple years before. Um, The ending of an engagement for her, so the dissolution of a relationship, she was struggling through the death of a friend, excuse me, the death of a friend. Um, and she also said that while she was writing this album, it felt like a soul searching experience, which just feels so Sagittarian in terms of this quest for meaning, even if it's an internal quest. She said she wrote it when she was in a cleaner state of mind. <clears throat> not sure if this was literal or not, but it did remind me of Saturn and symbolic sobriety, where people can reflect on themselves and their lives just a little bit more clear. Um, for her, she said this album was quote about returning to your family, where you come from and your history, looking at what makes you strong. It was about going to the studio and just forgetting that I'm famous, which to me just speaks to a Saturn level of again, stripping back to the basics. Who are you really?
0: That's incredible. Yeah. Um. The you mentioning like the meat suit for I was wondering. <laughs> What's that nuts? during
1: Scorpio? <laughs> oh yeah, let's look that up.
0: <laughs> that, would, that would be good to look up. But it just reminded me because she has, um you know, her Saturn is co-present with Uranus in Sagittarius, um, and Uranus is also squaring her Mercury mm. and. It just reminds me one of the parallels that you kind of see more recently with like Doja cat and just sometimes when an artist has those hard aspects with Uranus, like wanting to do something, you know, different, wanting to set themselves apart by doing something almost like weird or something really eccentric or what have you, um, it's such a common theme when Uranus is prominent to both, you know, set yourself apart in that way but also to not want to be restricted or like held back by something and i think that's even more the case in a sign like sagittarius.
1: Does Doja have the the square between mercury and uranus?
0: Yeah, she's got um cuz it was coming up like very prominently this summer, but she has the sun and the ascendant in late libra and like 27 29 libra and it's like squaring uranus yeah. at 26 degrees of capricorn. Um, and that Uranus is just a few degrees off her IC, which is at okay. two degrees of of Aquarius. So I think it's like some of the Sun Uranus themes are some of the things that come up with her. And and like more recently this summer, you know, some of the th- controversies surrounding like even rejection of her fans in some way because she didn't want to be limited by them or or something. I guess I don't fully know what the deal was with that. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So um is that it for Saturn and Sagittarius, or were there any other things?
2: That's it. All for me.
0: Okay. I did did anyone mention like Madonna as a Saturn and Sagittarius?
2: Oh, that's right. Yes, no, I forgot to mention her. Um ah. but yeah, and I think she does uh like a virgin during mm-hmm. this time period as well. Yeah, so she's a big one, not to miss.
0: Yeah, she's big and that so that Saturn in Sagittarius would have been that period in the mid mid to late 1980s where she's just like massive at that time and going through her Saturn return Mm -hmm. yes and Prince too
1: oh sorry I was gonna say it's just poetic that the that the person that Lady Gaga is most uh accused of mimicking has the exact same Saturn placement so she came at her Saturn return that's really funny
0: (laughs) oh wow that's a really great point okay Lady Gaga is Madonna's Saturn return
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah wow
0: (laughs) That's really cool. Well then what we know then is somebody was born in the mid you know 2010s with Saturn and Sagittarius that will eventually be Lady Gaga's Saturn return.
1: I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Exciting. All
0: it's right. It's like
1: tracking
2: the Dalai Lama. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: yeah. And like the next incarnation of like whatever the meat suit will be. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. We'll see.
1: It'll be a lab-made meat suit. From the oh, yeah. Taurus.
0: <laughs> right. I like that. The the, the beyond beef burger like yeah. meat suit. Okay. Yes. Good time. Good times.
2: <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. Ah. Well, shall we jump into Saturn and Capricorn? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this is the first time in our journey through the billboard that we arrive at a time where Saturn rules the sign. Um, and so music during Saturn and Capricorn takes a turn for the industrial and the gothic. And I think this is a really true expression of a sign associated with toil. Um, And a lot of the sound that comes forth in industrial music is what you might hear like in a factory or a warehouse. Also, Saturn is associated with the color black. And so we get this kind of um, goth aesthetic coming through. And so it tracks for Saturn and Capricorn. Um, and I think some of the most quintessential songs of, of this time period are rhythm nation by Janet Jackson, which has a super industrial sound. Um, and we get the cures love song and Depeche modes, enjoy the silence, which gets more to that kind of Gothic, um, aesthetic that comes through during Saturn and Capricorn.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, really cool. That darker aesthetic because Saturn is just symbolically it's like the furthest and dimmest visible planet. So it's always been associated associated with things that are um on darker or on the like the darker side of life and things like that.
2: Yes, exactly. Yes. And you'll even see, I mean, some of the the music videos and stuff from this time are shot in like black and white, um, which is really cool. Right. Yeah. So we also, I mean, Saturn Capricorn is also the antecedent to a major paradigm shift in the billboard, and that's the presence of hip hop in the mainstream. So we'll discuss that with Saturn and Aquarius, but Saturn in Capricorn, and I forgot to mention the years I just realized, so this is 88 to 91, um, Saturn in Capricorn introduces the mainstream to the MC, the Master of Ceremonies. And Capricorn is a sign I've come to associate with both um, DJs, disc jockeys, and MCs, Master of Ceremonies. I actually know a number of DJs who are Capricorn's sons. And my theory is that they, they act as the space holder during parties, which feels like Saturn is kind of the outermost visible planet serving as the boundary for what's going on in the inner solar system. And also, as I mentioned, Capricorn is associated with toil. And so it would be the sign that's like doing the work to make the party happen. <laughs> it's right. like the
0: sign that has to be working. <laughs> Everyone's um, like partying and dancing around them, but they're the only person in the room that's actually like working really hard at that time.
2: Yeah. yeah and it's funny. I mean... Saturn. I think it's uh Valens says that Saturn is associated with like hunchbacks, and I kind of imagine like you know DJs like hunched over and spinning discs, um, which is you know just a kind of literal uh, manifestation of
0: that. I mean, it's also interesting because they're also setting the tempo and the beat for the entire room, and that really sets like the precedent that then everyone is is following at that point.
2: Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I think this really gets to in some ways, the the, like father archetype that can come through with Saturn and Capricorn and, you know, in early hip hop, like DJs were kind of fathers of their community and trying to build peace, um, in, you know, like warring communities. Um, so I think that's really interesting. I looked at, um, DJ Grandmaster Flash, uh, so he's like considered one of the like first de- like hip hop DJs, um, so like a father of hip hop, and he has a Capricorn son. Um, so yeah, just a really interesting I think um, overlap of Capricorn and and DJs and MCs. So um, with Saturn and Capricorn, we get young MCs bust a move. We get Vanilla Ices, Ice Ice Baby. Also think about like Ice and Saturn and, you know, Cold. Um, you get MC Hammer's You Can't Touch This. And Biz Markie's Just a Friend. So these are some of the like breakout hip hop tracks that we're seeing um, on the Billboard uh, year end top 100, which is really cool.
0: Nice. I'm going to think of. Of you can't touch this from now on anytime I think of Saturn in Capricorn. Yes,
2: yes. Yeah. There are some really good titles uh, to the songs that are like could be slogans for Capricorn.
0: Um, r- reminds me of how we famously, when Saturn in our year ahead forecast for 2020, and we we're talking about the pileup of planets, the stellium in Capricorn in March yes. of 2020, we sort of remarked, we we're like, we almost joked, we we're like, there'll be no hugging during the third week of March of 2020. <laughs> And that's when the the lockdowns happened.
2: That wow. was oracular, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting. Um, the there's a documentary, like a mini series on Netflix called uh, I think Hip Hop Evolution, and that actually came out around that time. I'm pretty sure, like 2020, with all the um, the action in Capricorn. So, um, just another association there between the the two.
0: What was the movie that came out around that time as well? That was like Dr. Dre going back, and they made a a romanticized version of like the early days of N.W.A. Straight out of Compton.
2: Oh yeah, everyone was memifying it. Right.
1: (laughs) Straight out of. Straight out of. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, cool. All right
2: so so we get yes this sort of introduction of like the mc right and the dj um but we also get a lot of songs that are they they make like father references but it's it's not necessarily in the paternal way but more in the like suggestive like i'll be your daddy kind of way so Um, I think the top song of 1988 was George Michael's father figure. Um, And then we also get Madonna's like a prayer. um, And some of the lyrics for that are like a child. You whisper softly to me, you're in control, just like a child. Now I'm dancing. So we do get this kind of like, subtle i think kind of dom kink theme coming through in a lot of the music during saturn and capricorn which feels totally appropriate for the sign i mean thinking of like saturn as like restraint or you know being bound um or being controlled um, makes a lot of sense to me that it would sort of translate into sexual illusion um in this music and then There's kind of the spiritual element, I think, of Saturn and Capricorn that is about making the immaterial material. So you get songs like Billy Ocean's Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car and Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror and Wilson Phillips' Hold On, and Mariah Carey's Vision of Love. And they're all songs about externalizing internal realities or making dreams or visions a reality. And so I really think of Capricorn in this way of, you know, taking like the grandiose visions of Sagittarius and actually building something out of them. And that's how those that sign completes the other. And so I pulled some lyrics from Mariah Carey's song Vision of Love And she sings, I had a vision of love and it was all that you've given to me. I had a vision of love and it was all that you've given to me. I've realized the dream and I visualized the love that came to be. So I think this is, you know, really um, is a great expression of that phenomenon. And. You know, I'll just say one more thing about Saturn and Capricorn, but there are two tracks that really made me chuckle. One is the B52's Love Shack. (laughs) And so I can't imagine a more Saturnian love song than about like, you know going to a hovel for love <laughs> it's so good um just thinking about like saturn's significations of poverty um and the last song which i think you'll like this chris um is a song by taylor dane and it really speaks to saturn's deliberate nature and the title is don't rush me <laughs>
3: nice that's perfect um awesome.
1: Yeah, so we can go to the second era of Saturn and Capricorn, and we're in the time period of 2017 to 2020. So at the end of 2017, we're still seeing the dominance of Despacito. To kind of connect it to Capricorn, one of the artists on the track is called Daddy Yankee, and the word Despacito means slowly. So just to piggyback off of like, don't rush me, (laughs) this is a song that literally means slow. Um, We get again, uh, Kendrick Lamar's humble. So again, bringing people back down to earth, stripping back to basics, the Saturn return is humbling. We get Migos and Lil Uzi Vert's Bad and Bougie, which is a song about coming from nothing to something. That's literally one of the lyrics. Uh, Even, I think, a reference to a trap house, which to me, like trap house and a shack. (laughs) It's like, it's kind of like a glamorization of people who are in, you know, living in poverty. And then also just about the climb from, you know, having nothing and then having like a lot to me represents that Capricorn-like journey. In 2018, we get Drake's God's plan and how God is the ultimate father and how you're kind of like resigning your control over to a higher power. And much of the way that we surrender to the forces of Saturn, we get Dua Lipa's new rules. So again, Capricorn and rules, kind of like saying like, this is the new framework. We're going to do this now. Um, We get Ed Sheeran's Perfect, which is a song that is about, quote, focusing on traditional marriage. So Hmm. more romantic in nature, but still pulling in those Capricorn themes. And then we also get uh, Camilla Cabello and Cardi B with Havana and I Like It, respectively. So again, just kind of uh, like an homage to where they have come from, their, their Latin heritage, and again, the the Capricorn nature of legacy, and this is where I've come from, and this is how I want to continue. Then in 2019, we get Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. Uh, to me, this just feels like vintage, kind of old timey times, like an old western. <laughs> now Capricorn rules things, or Saturn and Capricorn can rule things that are old. We get Billie Eilish's Bad Guy, so kind of like with the era before. This is kind of a pop person who has a darker aesthetic and even one of the lyrics in that song is might seduce your dad type right so bringing (laughs) in again more daddy references this one may be a little bit silly but we also get ariana grande's seven rings and in my gemini head i was like saturn is the seventh planet and it has rings so we have a song that is kind of naming saturn in a way when Saturn enters its sign of domicile, which to me, is funny, but again, still a song that is about wanting something and getting it right. So this Capricorn coded materialism about earning something, and I'm going to do what I want with what I've earned. The Saturn return example I want to talk about for this one is Haley Williams. Haley Williams is the lead singer of Paramore. And she came out with her first solo debut during her Saturn return in Capricorn. That in and of itself is kind of like a Saturn return reintroduction of the self. This is who I am when I'm not with this group. This is my solo kind of effort here. It was a very dark aesthetic because this was an album that was inspired by her battle with depression and depression that specifically was following a divorce so again the disillusion of a relationship happening here um one of the lyrics of note that i wanted to talk about uh here with her song there's a song on this album called resistance and it just to me speaks a lot about saturn themes so it goes if there's resistance it makes you stronger it's not the end Make it your friend when there's persistence, you can go farther beyond the end. So it just reminds me again of the Saturn and Capricorn work ethic, really pushing against a thing in order to get above an obstacle or to get over a challenge. So I feel like that song is very evocative of her relationship with Saturn, and I believe she has it conjoined her son, right? So to identify, uh, you know, as Saturnian or to be like a Saturnian person.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think you said the time for this one's speculative, it's right? Speculative. Or speculative.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we don't know if she's a Gemini, right? Oh, wait, actually I can correct the record there because she went on an interview this summer and said she was a Gemini rising. So on okay. astro.com, I believe it's still speculative, but she mm. has said herself, she's a Gemini rising. We don't know Got the it. degree though. So, But sure. these are the houses roughly.
0: Nice. Okay. That's good to know.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, that's such a intense stellium. With um, for the audio listeners, she has Uranus, Saturn, Sun, Neptune, and Mercury all in Capricorn.
1: Yep, in the eighth. Yeah. Welcome to my life. (laughs) It's very (laughs) evocative.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, you're also Gemini rising with Saturn and Capricorn.
1: Yeah, in the eighth.
0: Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, were there any things about your Saturn return that you that that spoke to you about that were similar overlapping things?
1: Oh yeah, that that song looks one of the one of the only lyrics that I wanted to like talk about in full. It just reminded me of like the rally of getting through like the Saturn return, specifically in the eighth house, which is a, a little bit challenging. Um, but yeah, this is the album I would say that above all I identified with the most just because i I grew up with her and we have such similar placements.
0: Mm. Nice. Yeah. I think that's that's such a really great thing to do if you're going through your Saturn return is like paying attention to other celebrities that are going through it at the same time yeah. or to look back at celebrities that were because sometimes what they're going through can sometimes speak to you in terms of things you're experiencing as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And you get a song out of it. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And you don't even have to do anything. Like somebody else has written a song about your experience and, and
1: yeah.
0: yeah, that's pretty nice. <laughs> Um, I was looking through my files for Saturn, Saturn and Capricorn musicians, and two that I thought were interesting, where there's a similarity, is one is Weird Al Yankovic, Saturn and Capricorn, nice. and the other, the other is Bo Burnham, um, yeah. which is interesting because they're almost—it's not exact parallel, but there's something there that's like a similarity across yeah. generations in terms of the incorporation of like comedy and sometimes even like social criticism into music because um, that's something that Saturn is very good about is being very good at being critical. and sometimes that criticism is turned inwards. and other times it's like externalized and turned turned outwards. Um, you know, where where Al mainly does parodies. I was looking at Wikipedia for his timeline and it seems like he hit it really big earlier in the 80s, like mid 80s by like parodying things like Michael Jackson's songs. But then it looked like in the night in the late 1980s when he went through a Saturn return, it seems like it was a bit of a low point for him, and he tried releasing like a movie, but it kind of bombed at the time. Even though it later became a cult classic, and the Wikipedia entry for that period literally says 1990 through 1997 is it, it's titled revived career. Mm-hmm. So it seems like he was like struggling during his Saturn return, but then was able to have a revival after that. And um, for Bo Burnham, um, he famously just a few years ago. He was born in the 1980s, and he had his Saturn return during the pandemic. And one of the things that he did is he recorded this special titled "Inside," um, but it was recorded during the pandemic when everyone was in lockdown, and he decided to film and record and and everything his own um, music special. Um, just all on his own without any help, like inside his house. And um, the Wikipedia page, the description says, it was featuring a variety of songs and sketches about his day-to-day life indoors. It depicts Burnham's deteriorating mental health, explores themes of performativity and his relationship to the internet and the audience it helped him to reach, and addresses topics such as climate change and social movements, other s- segments discuss online activities such as FaceTiming one's mother, posting on Instagram, sexting, and live streaming video games. Um, but it was such an amazing special that people astrologers commented on at the time because it perfectly encapsulated partially what a lot of people were going through during the lockdowns with Saturn and Capricorn, but also especially what some people are experiencing with their Saturn return and going through this introspective phase at the same time.
1: Wow. Yeah. And I believe with both of them, maybe more. Bo Burnham, but there's a kind of self-deprecate deprecation call quality or like making fun of the self um, that totally. can come up with Capricorn sometimes. Um, so yeah, that's kind of funny.
0: Yeah, for sure. And to use comedy to do that, but but that it's still ultimately on some level the self-deprecation is almost like a form of of self-criticism.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So I think that's good for Saturn and Capricorn. Shall we move on to Aquarius?
2: Let's do it, all right. So we have Saturn and Aquarius from 1991 to 1994. And as I mentioned earlier, when Saturn moves into this sign, hip hop and rap just blast onto the billboard. So we go from a handful of songs in Saturn and Capricorn to just a massive percentage of the billboard year end hot 100 hits. And so there's a similar phenomenon here as when Saturn moved into Libra where there's just such a massive change in the style of music that it became kind of a meta commentary or expression of the sign. So for Aquarius, which I think of as a sign that really wants to make the fringe mainstream, we see exactly that happening with hip hop. So yeah, like hip hop just basically, the introduction of it is Aquarius. So they're like, is the Aquarian expression. Um, And so we get songs like Color Me Bad's I Want to Sex You Up, C&C Music Factory and Freedom Williams Gonna Make You Sweat, which is Everybody Dance Now. Um, We get Boys to Men's Motown Philly and L.O. Cool J's Around the Way Girl, Sir Mix-A-Lot's Baby Got Back, and Mary J. Blige's Real Love, um, among so many others. And so I don't, you know, I didn't really notice a super unifying theme in terms of like, you know, there's an Aquarian theme emerging necessarily from this music other than than it's music that was once on the fringe that's now mainstream. Um, and it's also a time period where grunge, which is another fringe genre, becomes very popular. And so we get Nirvana and Smells Like Teen Spirit making the year-end Hot 100. Um, we also that, get-
0: That's an incredible- Um, theme then that you just picked up right before you said that which ties both together which is like things that are on the fringe that appear weird at first and initially are met with people almost like rejecting it because it's weird and it's outside of the mainstream but then there's like a tipping point sometimes with Aquarius where suddenly something that was once fringe suddenly there's a shift and it becomes mainstream and sometimes that shift happens very rapidly
2: yes Yes, which you know we've seen um, in more recent times with Saturn and Aquarius as well. Um, yeah, but that was can...
0: the, or go ahead.
2: Oh, no, I was going to say Camille will probably uh, mm. talk about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's a good point about both hip hop becoming mainstream at that time and then grunge, you know, especially, which was a very small subset thing. But then all of a sudden, just through like one or two bands, through like Nirvana's breakthrough album, all of a sudden, it happened so rapidly and they they almost virtually overnight it becomes the popular mainstream thing, but it was such a rapid thing that even the people in the band like struggled with it. Like Kurt Cobain struggled with it then for the next yeah. few years. Um, because he had that image of being an outsider in his mind as like a core thing. And suddenly when he was mainstream, he had trouble reconciling that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, we also get some like you know red hot chili peppers which isn't grunge but is you know kind of associated i think with the genre and the, and this this more um this rock sound this like funk rock sound that comes out in the 90s too um happens during this time and you know, if I were to name any like particular themes that I noticed, one would definitely be like having sex. That's just sex, like no, kind of like no strings attached or like, I just, you know, I just want to have sex. I don't want it to be like serious or anything, which I think is a super fun Aquarian expression. Um, I have a close friend who has a huge Aquarius stellium and is a sex educator and, you know, just kind of like, yeah, let's just like, let's, let's talk about it. Let's name it. Let's do it. It's fine. Um, so that's sort of like detachment in some ways of, uh, you know, that can be associated with the sign of Aquarius, um, coming through. Um, and I also just wanted to mention like, I remember this time I was ages five to eight um, and I I remember that there was an emotional quality of these songs this is very um, subjective that felt kind of penultimate, like almost like the, a song that would be the second to last song in a movie where there's sign, kind of a, a resolution of um, of an era and the hint of a beginning of a new thing. And, and I think of Aquarius as being the penultimate sign, you know, if we start, if we order the Zodiac um starting with Aries, like we've done today. Um, that's really interesting. So I don't know, that's like a definitely like a vibe thing. Um, but I just, and I remember those years feeling that way. And when I was reflecting on that, I thought about how my mom got a new car in 1993, and it had a CD player. And that was a huge technological change, because it made listening to music so much easier in so many ways. Like you didn't have to rewind a CD. You could you could scratch them, but you never had to deal with the problem of like tape getting ejected from the, t- and then like, uh, you know, going back in with your pencil and like twisting the tape to get the tape back in. Um, I remember that that frustration like viscerally. <laughs>
0: yeah, um totally. That was a huge change over around that yeah. time period, the switch to CD from cassette tapes to CDs.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of cars or we had a a home stereo system that had like a five or six CD changer. And so you almost became like your own DJ. There was there was this transition of like you got to have your own mix of music. So you did not have to rely on the radio or like playing one tape. And so I'm just kind of thinking about Saturn in Capricorn as being like DJs that were celebrities that came into the mainstream. And then Saturn in Aquarius is almost like, you get to be your own DJ now. (laughs) Like we're going to give it to you. We're going to give you the gift of fire.
0: Totally. And the DJ thing also makes me think about like music producers and actual DJs that were becoming so huge at the time. Like you know, Dr. Dre, for example, and him producing albums like one of Snoop Dogg's early albums that came out in 1983, that was Saturn and Aquarius, and just so much of that became popular because of the production behind it and like the beats that were found. And then you have the rise of people, um, you know, these people that are behind the scenes that are coming up with the beats that people are rapping over, but that mm-hmm. that's playing this huge role technologically, like behind everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally, totally.
1: So in the second era, we're looking at Saturn in Aquarius from 2020 to 2023, so fresh off of this new wave. Um, in 2020, four out of five of the biggest hits of the year were hip hop. So I think it's interesting to mirror that from the early nineties, one of the top hits was blinding lights by the Weeknd, who was an Aquarius himself. And this brought in themes of like synth pop and synth wave and electro pop. So him just like playing around with the production, it was kind of retro and like a throwback to the new sounds before, but him kind of bringing it back. We also get Dua Lipa's Levitating, in which there's references to the Milky Way, hop aboard my rocket ship, let's go to space. She rhymes levitating with renegating, right? So to mm-hmm. like not do something of convention, which is very aquarian we get a Aquarian change in terms of the reception of K-pop around this time. So BTS really, really dominates the charts as well and dominates culture and translates one of the first times in modern history to like American audiences, like really embracing that music. So that just made me think of Aquarian change and this tolerance and this openness to other cultures. Um, thinking about Lindsay bringing up the CD player, it made me think how in the modern era, we have TikTok, where it kind of democratizes fame. Anyone can be famous, anyone can put their song on TikTok and, do, and you know do a challenge, and it can go viral. And you take out the middleman, right, which if there even is a middleman anymore. But that was just like an interesting Aquarian invention or new thing that kind of came that changed music, kind of like the CD player. The Saturn return example I want to use for this is Demi Lovato. So she has Saturn in Aquarius, um, and she released a album called Holy Fuck. And this was an album that saw her embracing edginess, anger, revealing more of her personal truth and story. We saw her embracing her gender identity, um, looking at her relationships to addiction as well. She also put out another body of work, prior but still during her Saturn return that's called dancing with the devil or the art of starting over and boy isn't the Saturn return a big start over for a lot of people um she described this album holy fuck as a return to her so again a reintroduction of the self as being more authentic or genuine She said with this album, she wanted to, quote, return to her roots. She wanted to, quote, take her power back as well. On this album, there is a song called 29, which is the penultimate Saturn return age, where she is reflecting back at a relationship that was started with a former boyfriend when he was 29, um, and also a song that kind of references her own daddy issues and saturn as uh, the daddy planet right just being talked about during her saturn return so really really cool it's
0: a great example um i was just glancing through other saturn returns because we just had finished saturn and aquarius i actually need to do the saturn returns retrospective in aquarius that i'm working on now and i'm i've sent out um requests for people to send in their saturn return stories so that's still open and ongoing. And if anyone wants to send that in, send it to the astrologypodcast at gmail.com um, with like a synopsis of what your Saturn return in Aquarius was. And we're going to do a full episode on that soon. Um, two of them that I had saved, there was one musician that was like a, actually a really big success story, which is Miley Cyrus, um, who had Saturn in Aquarius. And you know two of her biggest hits I think Wrecking Ball was her number one hit and that was when Mm -hmm. Saturn was in Scorpio and she was going through her Saturn square in that period we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, But then her Saturn return was Saturn in Aquarius over the past three years, um, 2020 to 2023. And at the end of that, she released the song Flowers about a year ago, which is just like a huge hit and it was partially reflecting on um, a... The experience of like a past, an ex and some things that had gone bad with him and being okay on her own, I guess, was really like the core of the song, right? Yeah, Yeah.
2: She had an incredible Saturn return, at least like from the outside I was watching and I was like, wow.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I actually called that ahead of time because that was like my one that I knew was going to be a good one because her Saturn is just so well-placed. I knew she was going to be a Saturn return success story. So I said that on Twitter like at the beginning of Saturn in Aquarius. And it's because if you look at her chart, because we actually have a time chart for her, she has Taurus rising and she has a day chart um, with Saturn in Aquarius. So it's in its own sign. It's in the 10th house um, in a day chart. It's in aversion to Mars, so it doesn't have any affliction from the other malefic. Um, And it has this amazing trine from Jupiter in Libra which is um, at eight degrees of Libra, overcoming and forming a superior degree-based trine to Saturn at thirteen degrees of Aquarius, and um, yeah, she just in terms of you know how different Saturn returns can go, I think definitely knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, and then one other, of course, you know that a lot of people mourned over that was like right, um during that time as well, or or just before was Mac Miller, who had Saturn in Aquarius and, you know, struggled with sort of drug and addiction issues, which he ended up succumbing to and then dying, you know, really young um, around that time.
3: Yeah. Mm.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: There are a or, lot of unfortunately like sad and return deaths that we see in, in music as well. I think Janice Joplin was one of them.
0: Yeah, well, that's the infamous like 27 club of mm-hmm. you know all those musicians that have passed away around um 27, which is the very beginning of the Saturn Return. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've you know, people have asked me to do like an episode on. I've sort of thought about it and whether to or not, and if that can be done sort of carefully or or gently. Um, mm-hmm. I just did my first episode, which I think will come out before this one on the astrology of death, where we first started talking about. That broader question of can astrology speak to death and how do astrologers cope with or or look at death even in their own lives through the lens of astrology? Um, so that might be something I explore more in the future if we can find a way to do it like sensitively.
3: Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah. All right. I think that's good for Saturn and Aquarius. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. We cool. got last but not least.
0: Yeah. Always save the best for last. That's what I say when we get to Pisces.
2: That's right. That's (laughs) right. So Saturn in Pisces happens from 1993 to 1996. And maybe as to be expected in the sign of Venus's exaltation ruled by Jupiter, we get a load of really beautiful love songs. And so the top hit of 1993 is I will always love you by Whitney Houston, um, which might be one of the most famous love songs of all time. Camille, you're talking about that earlier with Dolly okay. and Whitney. And this is a, this is a bridging song between Aquarius and Pisces for sure. Um, as, as Whitney, you know, released this during her Saturn return in Aquarius, but it makes the, it makes the billboard, um, your end chart in 93, um, which is the year of the, the Saturn ingress to Pisces. So um, so I lumped it in in here. It felt right to do that. Um, and another um, an album that's like really exemplary, I think, of this era is Mariah Carey's Music Box. Um, so she has a number of hits from this record that make the year-end Hot 100, including Dream Lover and Hero and Anytime You Need a Friend. And so I think, you know, even just thinking about um, some of these songs, it's notable to me that a lot of the tracks have gospel choir and just wanted to name like the influence of black gospel um, on this album and kind of associating, um, you know, faith with Pisces and how it's interesting that um, I think gospel shows up quite a bit in in Saturn and Pisces music. Um, so Jupiter and Pisces are also given to dreams and dreaming. And so I think Mariah Carey's Dream Lover is such a great song um, to kind of just feel into what it what does Saturn and Pisces feel like. And so some of the lyrics from that song are dream lover, come rescue me, Um, and then I'll skip a few, but she says, I I don't want another pretender to disillusion me one more time, whispering words of forever, playing with my mind. And so I think even this simple set of lyrics get to a lot of the themes that show up in Saturn and Pisces, so rescuing or redemptive love, love that transcends time and boundaries, and also even like disillusionment or insanity. and you know, Mariah in in this song in this album, she wants love that does the most. And that's mm-hmm. what I, I really associate with Pisces um love that just does the most um and so we see that theme coming up in a lot of songs from this era um like the proclaimers i'm gonna be um which is the i would walk 500 miles and i would walk 500 more um which is interesting kind of makes me think of is it vanessa carlton's thousand miles um And we also have Celine Dion's song, the power of love, where she sings, whenever you reach for me, I'll do all that I can. Um, and then, uh, you know, a really famous song, I think from this time is meatloafs. I would do anything for love. Um, so yes, just a, a lot of like doing the most for love with Saturn and Pisces.
0: That's great. And those themes you mentioned earlier, that's become so clear this year with Saturn and Pisces that like, um, Empathy is such a huge thing for Pisces and comes up so much in with Saturn and Pisces, because I think Pisces is the most empathetic sign if you had to like try to rank them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, we also get a lot of music about altered states with Saturn and Pisces. So this I think of kind of like dreaming and also substances. So we get. Billy Joel's song, River of Dreams, and we get Snoop Dogg's song, Gin and Juice. Um, And I have another personal anecdote from this period because at this age, I remember really getting into music and my friends and I were so hyped up for this like, European dance music trend that happened during Saturn and Pisces. And we would go to the skating rink and we, (laughs) we would like roller skate in circles. And I just think of like, a school of fish you know like swimming in a kind of trance like circle and we would do this and i don't know if other people did this as kids this was like on the east coast in delaware um and but you know the dj would just blast like real mccoy and ace of bass and these euro bands that they were just so fun like we just had a great time doing that um yeah so I think, uh, yeah like
0: like skate rink culture and music in like mid 90s 1990s is probably like peak 90s kids like culture yes Um, I don't know because I I was talking to somebody about this recently and I don't know if like the skate rink is still such a central like social place as it would have been back then like I don't know Camille you're a little younger than us is it I don't think it is but is that is that true
1: yeah that's totally true it's it's niche for the folks who like are really into roller skating especially in atlanta there's a huge culture there but yeah it's not as ubiquitous anymore i'm gonna i'm gonna go roller skating now
2: we should bring it back
1: (laughs) that's saturn
2: that's our saturn pisces job is bring back the roller rink
0: (laughs) there was like a little bit over the past years i've seen like some social posts where like it seemed like older people like going to the skating rink and kind of like trying to revive it a little bit but i wonder if that's like a people that were young back then like bringing it back
2: yeah yeah maybe yeah I mean it was in the early 2000s but I had my first kiss on a skating rink like just yeah it's like a really kind of essential social um location for for my childhood so yeah I I really associate that with Pisces just everyone kind of like swimming in a school together um really neat. And then another song that I remember really vividly um, was this um, was Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise, um, which just the name of that song feels very Saturn and Pisces, like Saturn, maybe it would signify gangsters and Pisces would signify paradise. Right. And I just remember like a bunch of the kids in the neighborhood had tapes um, of this song and they would all bring their boom boxes on the school bus and like sync it up. And, And so I just have this like visceral memory. Listening to Coolio and fourth grade and the sort of modified surround sound. So um that was a huge song at the time, and, and from a, a huge movie at the time. Um, yeah,
0: which which is about like Michelle Pfeiffer like trying to work with like inner city kids, and um it was like a massively like huge song at the time. That's such an interesting Saturn and in Pisces song because it was the lyrics itself were talking about like crime and poverty and the difficulties of escaping cycles of violence and like things like that. Um, that's really interesting and evocative.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, years later, that movie kind of got panned for like white saviorism, which I think is also like a really interesting expression of, of Pisces, like a like a yeah. negative expression of, of Pisces or Saturn Pisces is white saviorism.
0: Right. And well, and that was the reason why that song was so big at the time, partially because it was like in tandem with the movie because there was like scenes of the movie were like spliced into the song yeah. and so they were both sort of uh reciprocal but wasn't that movie even of itself like a, a spinoff or, or like a ripoff of like an earlier film that had like the same theme but it just wasn't as big of a blockbuster
2: i'm not sure um i just remember the name of the movie dangerous minds but i don't i'm not right. sure yeah i don't know i mean i know that Gangsta's Paradise it samples Stevie Wonder's um, song uh, Pastime Paradise, but mm. I'm not sure. Sh- yeah, I'm not sure about the movie.
0: Okay, yeah, I guess I was just I was reading a synopsis and just says reflects a theme of individuals being trapped in a lifestyle that's hard to break free from, and that just sounds a little reminiscent of some other Saturn and Pisces themes you see in other areas, like um, dealing with like a, a substance abuse issue that you're you're having difficulty breaking out of, or other things like that.
2: Mhm yeah, yeah totally totally Um, And the last example that I wanted to mention, which feels very full circle right now, is um, Michael Jackson's Say You'll Be There, which is from the major motion picture Free Willy, which is um, a (laughs) movie about liberating an orca. And now we have orcas all over the news lately with Saturn and Pisces. Um, This is another song that has a gospel choir in it. Um, And so, yeah, I just thought that was going to be kind of my last contribution to our discussion was um naming that song and um and yeah just like the really powerful imagery of that whale like jumping over Mm -hmm. um over the the barricade like into the ocean
1: yeah wow um so we're in the second era of Saturn and Pisces it started uh 2023 and it'll go until 2026 so the way that I approach this is to see what has topped the charts so far so we get flowers again by Miley Cyrus which was released like six weeks before the ingress but dominated as Saturn entered Pisces Um, one of the lyrics I thought was interesting um, we were uh, kind of a dream that couldn't be sold we were right until we weren't so to me this is a song about like the puncturing of a dream or the puncturing of a fantasy which can definitely be like a Saturnian influence there. I also think of Pisces and Venus's exaltation there and how this song is this declarative statement of, I'm just going to love myself and I'm going to give myself all these things. And what could be more exalted than just proclaiming that for yourself? I'll just get myself flowers. (laughs) Mm. Um, We also see Kill Bill from SZA's very ocean themed SOS album. Uh, She has a Pisces moon. Uh, The cover is like her atop like the waves of the ocean. So it's very Piscean. Um, This is a song that's also about like dying for love. So doing the most for love. I'd rather be in hell or I'd rather be in jail than to be without you. So kind of psycho. Um, we also get Die For You by The Weekend, which is the same kind of crazy devotional kind of love that we can see with Pisces. We also have a hit by Morgan Wallen called Last Night, which is about him and a partner getting super drunk and essentially saying everything they don't like about each other <laughs> then breaking up so here we have the pisces substance right um, and then the saturnian kind of again disillusion of a relationship Um, And then we have a song called Seven by one of the members of BTS, and this is more of a romantic serenade about wanting to spend every moment of every day with somebody that you love, so Piscean merging. We just recently saw Megan The Stallion's Cobra, which is a song that very literally shows a rebirth, um, and she is going through her Saturn return, so it'll be interesting Mm. to see how this plays out. She is quite honest about her alcohol use in that song. She's honest about her depression in that song as well. So again, just kind of uh, pulling these themes full circle. So we'll see uh, how she kind of finishes this uh, part of her life out. The Saturn return example I wanted to use, um, Doja Cat, already mentioned here for the controversies of this past summer. So we are witnessing her Saturn return in real time hmm. what i thought was interesting here was that she adopted a noticeably darker aesthetic right so like this, just the saturnian darkness there's a lot of creepy
0: that's things. like an understatement
1: yeah i know right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she she got all these crazy creepy tattoos of like spiders um you know being like dipped in blood for one of her single covers People accusing her of being like demonic. There's a lot of occult symmetry. So it's yes. kind of the most dramatic, like, dawn of Saturn in someone's, you know, work. And it also seems like kind of what you mentioned before, Chris, that she's like fed up. She's maybe reevaluating her relationship to her fans and to her music. Like, I'm not going to rap anymore. So again it's it's happening as we are living and breathing currently so we don't know how it's going to end um but we can already see the beginnings of it really really reflecting the sad and return themes that we've seen so far from everyone else
0: for sure and and just one of the themes of like struggling with the restrictions that you've built into your own life up to that point and the question yeah. of are you going to because you're, you're ending the first 30-year chapter of your life, but you're also setting yourself up for the next 30 years and having mm-hmm. that real moment of reflection and questioning, are you okay with the the boundaries and the restrictions and the obligations that you've set up in the first 30 years of your life? And are you going to continue them for the next 30 years? Or are, you know in some instances, are you going to demolish some of those things and start fresh? And um, I think with her, you're seeing some of those interesting tensions between the Saturn themes and some of the Uranus themes.
1: Yeah. And then even like the whole phenomena of having like a parasocial relationship, just her being like, you don't know me, like you're not my friends, you're my fans. <laughs> and so right. it, it speaks distinctly to like how Saturn and Pisces for a lot of folks is like, I'm creating a barrier where there was none before. Um, so yeah, seeing her struggle with that and hopefully she, she finds a, a balance that works.
0: Yeah, for sure. It'll be really interesting to see because we're still early in Saturn and Pisces, so I guess yeah. she'll get the first, her Saturn's at 18 degrees of Pisces, so she'll yeah. get her first exacted, I think, next year, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Okay, that's cool. Um, Anything else about her chart?
1: That is it.
0: Okay. Um, that is the
1: end of my notes.
0: I was just looking at my Saturn and Pisces musicians file. And I actually have probably more musicians in my Saturn and Pisces file than any other sign. I don't know if you two have seen similar things here. Um, but it's like some of my list is like Trent Reznor, Kurt Cobain, of course, who um his Saturn who passed away during his Saturn return, but then it's like just months before he passed away, they did that famous Nirvana MTV unplugged. Um you know, yeah. what does it show? And it just has this such this like like eerie and like other wo- worldly sort of vibe. And I think they even like decorated it somewhat reminiscent of almost like a not a funeral, but something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just has this really like haunting quality to it because of course, it ends up being their last album and their last like major televised, like public performance because he would eventually pass away the following year after it was released, but that was Saturn in Pisces, and that was part of his Saturn return as somebody who had um, not just Saturn in Pisces, but a stellium in Pisces at the same time.
3: Mm.
0: Um, Other examples that I had of Saturn in Pisces is Justin Bieber, who has a Pisces stellium right now in Saturn in Pisces, and he's been struggling with some health issues.
2: Right. He can't sing right now, right? Oh, Wow. yeah there something, like something with his voice or
0: there's something going on and or he's just what... sick
2: and he, and he can't perform mm-hmm.
0: well um I don't know because it's a little like mysterious what it is exactly that he's dealing with and they have announced different things but it seems like both him and his wife are like dealing with some sort of health issues it's been happening over the past few years I don't know if it's related to the pandemic and like you know different performers getting covid and stuff like that or if it's unrelated but that's something you know, sometimes people at their Saturn return run into a wall and they're are struggling with, you know, not just health issues, but sometimes getting older and like age and how sometimes you don't you can't do as much as you did when you were younger as a Saturn return theme.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, and then I think Dua Lipa was already mentioned as a Saturn in Pisces who we're seeing her Saturn return and she's had oh. an even bigger explosion over the course of the past year. Um you know, with like the Barbie movie and even being featured in that, for example, and being in one of the hit singles from that movie.
1: Being a mermaid? Um, Hello. Yeah. She's yeah, literally so Piscean.
0: Mermaid Barbie at the very beginning of the movie. So that'll be another interesting um, Saturn return example to see later on for her. Um, that her Venus
2: son- retrograde, the summer stationed looks like right on her sun and Venus.
0: Yes. It was super cool that she has that Venus Kazemi at 28 Leo. And that's exactly where Venus stationed when the Barbie movie came out. So that was mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and she has Saturn in the 10th house. So we'll see how her what the career development is for her over the next few years as she continues her Saturn return. Um, and one other one is like Tanarel, um is also Saturn in Pisces. And she's one. I'm really curious to see her Saturn return and how that goes. I don't know if either of you follow her.
2: Who is she? I don't know who that is.
0: She's just a singer, but she has this very like otherworldly um, Saturn and Pisces vibe in terms of her music. Um, and she actually calls herself, one of her nicknames is like Mama Saturn. Um oh, what's her So name? her name is Tannerelle.
3: Tannerelle, Oh, cool.
0: Yeah, look her up. She did this amazing um, like live streamed concert like during the pandemic and that was where I first found her and it was just had this amazing vibe to it and she's super cool so that's another Saturn return story I'm interested in watching as Saturn progresses and um if she continues to like blow up
1: yeah she looks like a fairy she's gorgeous
0: yeah very Saturn and Pisces otherworldly vibe
1: yeah
0: um okay I think those are all of my Saturn yeah Saturn and Pisces examples um this was any other final thoughts on Saturn and Pisces as we're, you know, we've seeing themes, as we're reflecting on this.
2: I'm just excited about what's going to come out because I it's one of my personal favorite periods in music. So and I, I think a number of people I heard say the same thing. They're they're just excited to see what comes out during this time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we're right at the beginning of it. Saturn just made its second station in Pisces here at zero degrees. so now we're going to get into the thick of it and into the second Deacon of Pisces next year. so it should be really interesting. yeah um, it'll also be interesting actually as Saturn gets later in Pisces and gets closer and closer to Neptune um and that the, the like intensification of the otherworldly sort of vibe and the like alternate sort of states of reality type vibe that you get with a Saturn Neptune conjunction. Yes, yeah, I'm really truly. looking
1: forward to that. I, I'm also just wondering if it'll be like finally the rejection of like all the social media, like everyone looking the same. And I, it's, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, let's do some final thoughts of wrapping up to bring everything full circle and put some sense of finality on like, what did we see here? What did we find here? This was amazing and this was brilliant by the way I would just want to say this far exceeded like any expectations of like the two of you like either of these could have been an episode but somehow it was merged and having both of you deal with the two different periods worked out brilliantly and it was so amazing seeing the echoes of similar themes across generations and we only looked at like two different Saturn generations um but it was just striking seeing those parallels
1: yeah
2: Thank you for saying that, Chris. And thank you, Camille, for being such an awesome collaborator.
1: Well, thank you. You brought up all those themes. I was I was so shocked and happy and surprised to see them carry over. I was like, yes.
2: <laughs> good, good. My weird summer music listening project paid off.
1: <laughs> Yay! <laughs>
3: nice.
0: Um, so do you, either of you have any final thoughts about the Saturn Returns or Saturn um, eras or any things that you'd like to sort of end on just to, to summarize?
2: Sure. I mean, what did you
0: learn or what did you draw from this?
2: Yeah. I just think that this has such, you could do so many like practical applications with this information. Right. And I think, you know, we have a lot of Books and lectures and things, you know, spoken words about what do the signs mean. But I think that there's something really powerful about listening to music and getting to sort of embody a sign in a different way. And I think that we've been able to demonstrate that Saturn, these Saturn transits, really do ignite the themes of the signs. And um, so I just think that's, it's like a different way of learning about the zodiac, which I think is really neat. And also, I think it's cool to, you know, do some self-discovery or discovery of people in your life by maybe listening to music. Um, from, you know, if you have a friend who has a lot of Sagittarius placements, like listening to music from that Saturn era, um, and learning something about them. So just making connections, um, and, you know, people could like make playlists using this information, like make a, make a playlist for your natal chart and go through and pick, you know, what song do you feel like most embodies sun and cancer from the Saturn and cancer periods, something like that. Just, you know, it's fun.
0: (laughs) Totally. That's a great idea.
1: I guess one of my takeaways is is first, um, I don't think Saturn is a planet we associate a lot with music. So I was just happy to see its influence um, in this field of art um, that is very essentially healing to the human condition. And, you know, just kind of Saturn things have this kind of fear or the PR of being challenging, which is true, but there's also just so much ripe fruit, right, that you can get from Saturn periods of your life. I also took from this uh, kind of seeing Saturn as the container, right? So throughout these different eras, it was like Saturn was the structure um, and within which like other things were happening, right? And so it's very fun to see Saturn as influencing even you know at a musical level. I'm sure you can see it on so many other kinds of levels as well. but really seeing Saturn as what crystallizes and, and brings things together was was one of my main takeaways here.
0: Yeah, for sure I love that and and creates a foundation for everything else in the same way that we were talking about um, like DJs at a party setting the tempo, Um, for everything else and setting the beat that everyone then just moves to almost involuntarily, just naturally. In the same way, it seems like Saturn is setting a tempo and setting a beat over time um, during these different eras, these three-year eras of um, Saturn moving through different signs and and changing the beat and changing the tempo, but setting it so that everyone's like moving to that in a way, even unconsciously during these three-year periods, and then how that repeats you know every 30 years when Saturn returns mm-hmm. it's like discovering the 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 tempo or the beat that's underlying history um mm-hmm. and is then therefore informing like culture is informing things like like politics um and so many different things
2: yeah that's beautiful that makes me think of that saying that Visual art is how we decorate space and music is how we decorate time and oh, how you just cannot wow. separate music from time. And Saturn is the Lord of time. So they ha- they must be connected.
0: Maybe that's it. I mean, maybe the, that's the answer. That's a great saying. I don't know. Where did you get that from? It, it really ties together everything we've been talking about.
2: I think I just read it on like a meme or something at some point, but it really <laughs> stuck with me. Yeah, okay. sorry if that's someone's quote and I'm not attributing it, but <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, that's brilliant. So Saturn is the planet of time and and music being the decoration of time. Um that's that's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Saturn is the ultimate DJ. I would say so.
0: Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I love when it. When it's like I'll see even in a band like the drummer playing the drums is the one that's setting the framework for like everything else and has to keep up the tone and the tempo. And it's like, that's what Saturn's doing.
1: And visually the drums are in the back, right? So we're looking at the guitarist, we're looking at the lead singer, we're looking at Mercury, we're looking at Venus, but without Mm. that kind of structure back there, it's like everything else falls apart. So yeah. Holding it down. Saturn holding it down. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I love that and I also love um the set of returns connections and some of the things we we're seeing and sometimes seeing different artists having their set of return and having that important turning point but then you know we mentioned like Madonna and Lady Gaga and like how they had that similarity um at least on a superficial level from an outsider yeah. perspective that was commented on um but seeing that was also really striking both in terms of things that arise organically like within an individual's generation, but also realizing that as we experience Saturn transits now, what we're experiencing now, people are being born with that and the seeds of that will eventually like grow and mature and develop in the future. And like 30 years later, you sort of look back on it and realize um, how those themes keep echoing throughout time. Yeah. Mm,
1: yeah, beautiful.
2: amazing.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you both for joining me for this today. This is incredible. Um, I'm blown away right now. I'm going to be thinking about this uh, discussion for a long time. Um, So where can we find out more information about your work? Um, Let me know what's going on. Lindsay, tell me about yourself. Tell me about what you're working on and where people can find out more information.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a full-time astrologer and also a minister. Um, And so my work is mainly knitting together theology and astrology as a way of repairing some of the wounds that the church has caused in so many people, particularly queer and trans people. Um, I'm also a musician and a singer and just really believe in the kind of spiritual power of music. Um, I have Libra rising and so Venus is my chart ruler and um, yeah, I just, I love music and art. So that's a big part of my work as well. And I can be found, my website is badpastor.me. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter under the Bad pastor handle. Um and the biggest thing i have coming up is that this is my third year i'm doing an advent astrology devotional so a devotional is just sort of like a daily reflection and i tie together um, a current like a meditation on current events and faith and astrology so again doing that work of kind of knitting these different elements together and so you can um, subscribe for that that starts on december 3rd um, for advent so i'm really excited and i also teach monthly webinars on the Zodiac, um, and intersections with faith and theology, and then do one-on-one and group workshops and consultations.
0: Awesome. Cool. Busy. And what was your website again? One more time.
2: <laughs> Badpastor.me badpasto r.me e
0: Cool. I'll put a link to that in the description, uh, for this episode. Uh, Camille, what about you?
1: Uh, people can find me at CamilleMichelleGray.com. I'm always offering consultations. Um, I am just across social media, always sharing my ideas. Uh, you can find me Twitter and Instagram at Michelle. Like Lindsay, I am also a musician and I am releasing a song, I think a week from today. So that'll be within all of this. And so- Yay. Yeah,
3: nice.
1: to have collaborated with a, a fellow mu- musician, a fellow kind of- Person of Venus, uh, I think that's <laughs> what made this work. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's been awesome. It's been so great, and I love that we each have um, a different uh, air rising sign. I think that made it really fun for
0: me too.
1: Oh yeah, we're all the air risings. Look mm-hmm. at
0: us. What was your Saturn <laughs> placement again, uh, Lindsay?
2: Sagittarius.
0: Sag. Right. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, that's funny. Also, that you two have like adjacent Saturn signs.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or we all we all do. Scorpio, Scorpio, Sag, and Capricorn. (laughs) Nice. Amazing. All right.
0: We've completed, we have all three modalities. I've got the fixed. um, Lindsay has the mutable and Camille has the cardinal sign.
1: Amazing.
0: Brilliant. I love that. What was your website again, Camille?
1: It's CamilleMichelleGray.com.
0: Cool. All right. I'll put a link to that uh, in the description below this episode. And you I meant to thank you. You because the Zodiac series wrapped up earlier this year with Pisces with Austin, mm-hmm. but you were the architect behind a bunch of those episodes from Gemini onward, where you helped me to research and like prepare for all of those. So I was meant to thank you because you played a huge role in that series. They're You're so welcome.
1: good. It's my pleasure. So fun. It's a great series, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was so happy how it came out. And this is now a nice addendum or like bonus episode to go along with that, because I feel like we've drawn out a lot more subtlety from the signs by looking at it through the lens of music. So thank you both for doing that with me, and thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank
2: you, Chris. Thanks for the opportunity. It was so fun.
0: All right. Well, thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we'll see you again next time. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. In exchange, you'll get access to some great subscriber benefits, including early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of The Forecast each month, our monthly auspicious elections podcast, which is only available to patrons, a whole exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits. You can find out more information at patreon.com slash astrology Shout out to our sponsor for this episode, which is the Chani app, the number one astrology app for self-discovery, mindfulness, and healing. You can download it on the Apple App Store or on Google Play, or for more information, visit app.chani.com. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our Producers tier, including patrons Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Jeannie Marie Kaplan, and Melissa Delano. If you're looking for a reliable astrologer to get an astrological consultation with, then we have a new list of astrologers on the podcast website that we recommend for readings. Most of the astrologers specialize in birth chart readings, although some also offer sinistry, rectification, electional astrology, horary questions, and more. Find out more information at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of SolarFire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology: The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, And by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors including The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. And the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening both in person and online May 23rd through the 27th, 2024, You can find out more information at norwac.net.